The CFB Winning Edge 2020 FBS Review Podcast Series is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Support from our patrons help us fund updates, improvements, and special projects. It also keeps our weekly shows ad-free. As part of our review series, our patrons will also receive visuals we refer to during the show, with additional stats, rankings, notes, and more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to sign up. And new in 2021, annual members receive 18% off, two months free on a 12-month subscription. Thank you to all of our patrons for your generous support, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. I'm here with Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And on the show today, we are doing teams number 90 through 81. And, you know, we talked about it in the last show where um, the silver linings kind of ended right around 100 because these teams can go way higher or they could go way lower. There's a lot of movement room uh, both ways here. So um, the first team up to talk about, Nick, is Michigan State. And a a lot of these teams didn't play a full schedule, Michigan State being one of those teams. Uh, Two and five last season, they ranked 116th in scoring offense, averaging only 18 points a game. That was rough. They were a hundredth in scoring defense. Um, they are kind of middle in the pack in returning production, but through the portal, they lost uh, linebacker Antoine Simmons and three, uh, or that he graduated and they lost three others to the portal. Uh, they did bring in uh, Ben Van Summer in from Michigan. Uh, they uh, also got Anthony Russo, quarterback from Temple, uh, Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest, Harold Joyner, a running back from Auburn. They had a high recruiting class, 43rd, but it did rank low in the Big Ten at 10th. Uh, a couple coaching changes, but not nothing major here for them. So what is the 2021 outlook for the Spartans here, Nick? Yeah, well, Michigan State is is uh, sort of the ultimate team in transition. And, and this is, uh, you know, a, a sort of test case year two. And, and in some some ways, I mean, I think it's, reasonable to think of 2020 as a year zero for Mel Tucker at, at Michigan State. Got the job very, very late uh, in the process. And then, of course, everything unfolded as it did. Uh, he's trying to remake the roster. And Tucker's a, a you know big-time recruiter, well-known recruiter for his time in the SEC, did some good things early on in his one year in Colorado. And uh, they have one, as you mentioned, hit the transfer portal really hard. Uh, they're they're looking for a you know a, a, a prototype sort of at each position. Uh, they're looking for size. They're you know looking for more of the measurable things than maybe uh, the previous coaching staff under Mark D'Antonio did. Mark D'Antonio, uh, you know, they didn't always bring in really highly rated classes, but it tended to you know have some guys that were uh, flying under the radar a little bit hidden gems, you know, all, all that sort of stuff, guys that they could develop in the uh, within the, the system, within the program. And Tucker wants a little bit more 
to work with starting out once a, a higher caliber of athlete. And so it's kind of interesting to see how they are going about that one recruiting at the high school level, but also really uh, dipping heavy into the transfer portal as well, kind of trying to attack it from both sides. It's also, uh, you know, this, at this point in the rankings and, and we're, if this is your first time with us, these rankings are our end of 2020 season uh, power rankings. So if everybody uh, were to, to line up and, and we were to say who's going to be favored uh, against another team, if there were a week, you know, 16 or another slate of games uh, next week, this is the order in which we would say, you know, one team is favored over another. Michigan State's down to 90. That is a huge, huge drop off from where their team performance ratings were prior. Coming into the season, uh, we, we have a three-year weighted average and a five-year weighted average of their team performance grades for, for each year. And Michigan State, uh, State ranked 33rd in that three-year average and 34th in that five-year average. So this is a team that was, you know, uh, capable of, of hopping into the top 25 any given year. And for them to drop all the way to 90 is, you know, a, a concerning thing. But uh, part of that is is just the roster changeover. They, they've got uh, a new quarterback, Ricky uh, Rocky Lombardi, has transferred to Northern Illinois. You mentioned they brought in Anthony Russo, veteran guy from Temple, big, strong, you know, has a, has a really strong arm. Um, they, they're couldn't run the ball very much last year, but they brought in Kenneth Walker also, as you mentioned, uh, and they've got a couple of guys coming back who, who have really some potential, just haven't uh, really been able to get going. Jalen Naylor, a receiver, had a, a solid year, uh, and Jaden Reed, the transfer from Western Michigan, is, uh, I think, somebody who's going to be able to uh, continue to improve. They were hit real hard by uh, – you know, by injuries, especially on the offensive line. That's an area I think they're really going to be able to improve. They've ranked 120th in our offensive line performance ratings last year. That's out of 127 teams. So they're going to be a very experienced unit. They lost their starting center in, in basically the, the first game of the year. Uh, they lost a returning starter from 2019 who opted out prior to the season. Everybody can come back. We don't know if everybody will, but uh, you know, at least from a body standpoint, uh, that unit should be a little bit better off. Defensively, they played, you know, pretty well. They ranked 35th in yards per play, allowed 55th in EPA per play, expected points added per play on defense, uh, 62nd success rate against 30, or excuse me, 19th uh, success rate against 37th yards per uh, pass attempt allowed. So, you know, they're, they're in a very small sample, did some really good things on defense, but lost a lot of those big time performers. Lost Antoine Simmons to the NFL draft. Uh, you know, they're, they're also lost Naquan Jones up front and Shakir Brown, who had all five of their interceptions, one of the best corners in the country. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I like the long term trajectory excuse me, trajectory. I think that Tucker has has a plan in place and it's going aggressively, uh, you know, to really raise the talent level. Uh, and I think they have the ability to do it. I, I lived for uh, basically half a year in Lansing, Michigan, liked it a lot. Thought it was, you know, Michigan State, nice campus. I can imagine once things, you know, once recruits are able to visit, uh, you know, more over the next year or so, he's going to be able to, you know, 
get guys to sign on the dotted line because of the the things that they've got going there. Him, you know, personality wise, his staff, but also he, I think is going to be able to sell uh, East Lansing, sell that university, and and I think that we're going to start to see Michigan State bringing in consistent, you know, top uh, top thirty, top twenty five type classes. We're just going to have to see if it, it can translate onto the field. And 2021 is going to be, I think, a, a transition in that sense because they're going to be relying on some transfers at some uh, big-time positions on offense. They're going to be young on defense. I I don't really have a firm grasp on, you know, if this is a team that's going to be able to take a big step forward from a one-loss perspective. But I do think that Mel Tucker has Michigan State – you know, starting off, uh, you know, starting from a, a, a kind of a tough spot, having fallen into the 90s. But, you know, it, it's sort of I envision that there's they're not in danger of falling farther. This is not a program that's going to be, you know, down in the, the uh, what we've seen Rutgers, the you know, 2018, 2019. They're not capable of falling into the cellar of the Big Ten. I think this is a team that's going to you know, have the potential to get back to a bowl in, in 2021. But I do think that this is a team that is got top 25 potential within the next two or three years. You know, once they get that talent uh, level up to the level that, that Tucker is really looking for. What are your thoughts on uh, Michigan State here, Xavier? Like Nick said, the, the long-term projection looks good, but 2021 looks like it might be a little rough. Yeah, I'd hold off on any, you know, really a lot of hype around that university as of right now. I think that we're going to see more of the same going into next year. I think they'll be better than two and five, just simply because I think their non-conference schedule is a little bit uh, easier. Uh, well, actually, but yeah, it's, it's easier. And I, I think they'll be better in year two under Tucker. Nick's absolutely right. Tucker came in really kind of at the drop of a dime. It was really kind of out of nowhere to that extent. was a late hire yeah. too uh you know they, they they had a really really late hire right right and on top of that with covid you didn't have the normal off season that you get with having a late hire so the first year was kind of just learning on the job and so we, we saw a lot of rough patches for them especially offensively uh they struggled mightily to make anything happen except for against michigan where i don't know the offense just completely opened up uh but i think going into next year oh i was gonna say i thought he was gonna say something Oh well, I and they beat Northwestern too. I mean, yeah. they, they popped up and and won two games that you wouldn't expect them to win. You know, rivalry game against Michigan, coming off of a uh, a big win against Minnesota that week before. We thought right. Minnesota was going to be pretty good, you know. And and so for Michigan State, who lost to Rutgers the previous week, to go in and win that game, and then they you know came back to earth a little bit, but then jump up and beat Northwestern, who won the West. I mean, the the potential is there to to beat anybody they just you know consistency uh definitely was was lacking last year absolutely and, and consistency is something that's not always something that you can coach into a kid during the season it's really hard to kind of keep a team consistent that doesn't really have the the formula all together and that's what happens when you don't have an offseason so i think they'll be better this year i'm not going to say that they'll be you know a, even a bowl eligible team this year i'm not ready to go on even on that kind of limb because they're no, uh, because they're non-conference schedule, it's still pretty daunting. They still play Miami, uh, that's, so that's not going to be an easy non-conference game whatsoever. Uh, along with Youngstown State and uh, Western Kentucky, so two and one in their non-conference schedule. But I'm gonna be honest with you, the Big Ten last year was so weird that I have there's, there's not a lot of 
wiggle room that I think that Mich uh, that uh, Michigan State has going into this year. You know, Michigan played down last year. Penn State played down last year. And if any year for a team like Michigan State that was in transition to have like a really, really good year, it's when all of your rivals are having a trash year. And that just didn't happen. And so now I think that Michigan and Penn State might write that ship. I'm going to expect another three to you know four win season, maybe maybe five win season from them this year. <clears throat> when we look at the recruiting trail, Nick is absolutely correct. Let's talk about the future when it comes to Michigan State because the, the recruiting class this year was okay. Um, you know, and I think what we have to remember about Mel Tucker is yes, he is a great recruiter and has been, but he's been a great recruiter in the Southeast. You know, he he played he spent all that time in Alabama and he spent all that time in Georgia. You got to learn how to recruit the area in which you're coaching. And that's a brand new thing for him to do. You know, he has a pedigree around college football for us. But for kids, a lot of the time, you know, the Alabama and Georgia of it all doesn't really help when you're in Michigan all that much. It can, but it can also hurt you as well. So I think he's got to learn how to recruit his uh, the place in which he's at now. And he's starting to do that. Next year's class is already ranking really high. Next year's class ranks uh, 27th nationally and 6th in the conference. So he's starting to get there. But like Nick said, let's tailor any kind of real talk around Michigan State improving a lot. I think we're looking at a, a four, maybe five win ball club. The next team is Arkansas State. We talked about a little bit yesterday because they do have a brand new head coach, Butch Jones, uh, coming in, of course. Uh, they've got, um, you know, he was a analyst over at Alabama last year. They got mm -hmm. a lot of new coaches coming in. My uh, Matt Limegrover is the new offensive line coach, new special teams coordinator. The whole staff is kind of being revamped here. Uh, they they were four and seven last year, pretty good on offense, 34th ranked in scoring offense, 32.9 points per game. The problem was they were giving up over 37 points a game on defense, which has been the problem in Arkansas State for a while. Uh, they're using the transfer portal a lot, eight players out, nine coming in, including uh, Florida State quarterback James Blackman. Uh, so this should be a pretty interesting team in 2021, Nick. What do you think about uh, Arkansas State? Yeah, and, and I think the, the James Blackman transfer might just be the, the place to start. I, I was uh, somewhat relieved, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know when, when Blake Anderson left to go to Utah State and Logan Bonner, who had been the starting quarterback uh, last year and, and started 2019 as the starter before he uh, had a season-ending injury, he and Lane Hatcher – had been basically rotating series and, and both had had a lot of success. Uh, Hatcher's numbers look a bit better. Uh, he's, he's really put together two solid seasons back to back in, in 2019, 2020, but he was never quite able to win the job outright, partly because Bonner looks better just, you know, to your eyes when you're watching, uh, throws a prettier ball, you know, just set a, Whatever it is, he, he he looks better on the field than Hatcher does, even though Hatcher, according to a lot of numbers, you know, traditional and, and a little more advanced, uh, has been more productive. And, and so I thought, hey, you know, I, I know that that Blake Anderson has, has had that offense, uh, you know, humming along, basically, I mean, 15th in the country in yards per pass attempt last year. That's difficult to do when, you know, you're rotating quarterbacks and, you know, 26 in the country in yards per play, uh, 43rd EPA per play on offense, 42nd points per drive. So solid numbers, solid to very good in, in a you know variety of categories. And in some ways they were, you know, fairly one dimensional. They really were a, a, just a, a pass first pass 
uh, often offense. Jamal Jones had, you know, some success, almost 600 yards and, and ended up uh, leading school to, to turn pro. Uh, but part of that, you know, he wasn't the top guy on the depth chart coming into the year. Marcel Murray was uh, hobbled off and on, you know, the field with, with injuries uh, throughout the course of the season. And, and so, you know, they relied a lot on the two quarterbacks. They relied on Jonathan Adams, who was one of the most impressive wide receivers in the country last year. I mean, just absolutely went off in week one uh, against Kansas State and, and really, you know, played at a high level all year until he suffered his own season-ending injury. But he was targeted 121 times, according to PFF. He had 78 catches. 1,100 yards and 12 touchdowns, just a, a really, really excellent season. They're going to miss him, you know, big time. But uh, I still thought that Hatcher, you know, hey, this is an opportunity for it to be his team. And, and I did like the Butch Jones hire, thought that, you know, he's had success at uh, the group of five level, both at Central Michigan and Cincinnati. Uh, you know, his offenses at times at Tennessee – uh, were pretty good as well. I mean, I remember one particular offseason. I think it was, you know, is is next to heading into his uh, whatever it was when they won nine games in in twenty. Uh, I, I'm completely butchering this, but anyway, there were there were some times I remember thinking, "Wow, that Tennessee offense really is uh, is looking pretty good right now." Uh, and that was 2016. They won scored 36 points or a poor game. But uh, anyway, so, you know, for him to then go out, one of the first sort of major transfers that we saw was getting James Blackman, who started, you know, 25 games at Florida State, uh, has had his own, uh, you know, bouts of success here and there, but couldn't nail down the job long term, uh, ended up just falling farther and farther down the depth chart last year and you know you you bring in a guy like that from a, a power five program who's got a lot of experience uh who has one year uh, actually i guess blackman has two years to play still somehow he's been there forever it seems but it, it was a strange move to me it was a strange decision and, and there have been times when i really liked what blackman did early in his career thought he had a lot of potential just hasn't you know really lived up to that in, in the year since but it just really struck me as odd. I don't know it's necessarily the, the way you want to start at a new program when, when you've got a guy who's been, who's played a lot of football, who's been a starting quarterback uh, by all indications, you know, has some leadership ability that the team likes. And, and I thought it finally was going to be Lane Hatcher's opportunity to kind of be the guy uh, there at, at Arkansas state and to sort of, you know, add this, uh, competition to that again. Usually, competition I, I think is a good thing, but in this scenario, it just I just don't really like it. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. Be interesting to see if if Blackman really will compete for that job. Uh, if he can give Hatcher a run for his money, but I, I do expect Lane Hatcher to you know still play a lot and and to have some weapons to work with. I mean, Corey Rucker, Jeff Foreman. Uh, both had you know some big games at times last year. They will be losing Brandon Bowling, who's following Anderson to Utah State, but brought in a couple of transfers. Uh, so he's got weapons. Travelance Hunt from TCU is a you know guy who's got uh, over a ninety rating coming out of high school. Uh, he's he'll be entering what would be his 
uh, traditional senior year, but a guy who's played, you know, over 20 games and, and has double digit starts in his career at the power five level. It looks like a guy who's going to uh, have the potential to, to jump right into a starting role and, and be a prime you know, primetime target for uh, Hatcher or Blackman or, or both. But uh, they will be losing a starting offensive lineman. Jarrett Horse transferred to Michigan State. That's one reason uh, they're, you know, more optimistic about the offensive line at Michigan State. He is a multi-year starter at left tackle, but everybody else it looks like is coming back. I do believe that their best uh, player on the defensive line, Forrest Morell, who was a senior last year, uh, is an all Sun Belt performer, a guy who's an over 90 uh, BGR plus in our individual player ratings. Uh, I think he's coming back. I, I, last I saw, he was intending to, to come back as a super senior. Uh, Caleb Bonner, uh, starting linebacker, three-year starter at linebacker, I also believe is, is uh, prepared to take that extra year of eligibility. And then other than Justin Rice, who was kind of a one-year wonder, came in uh, as a transfer from Fresno State and then left as a transfer to follow Anderson to Utah State, everybody else, I think, is coming back. So even though that defense struggled, I mean, 114th in the country yards per play allowed, 117th yards per pass attempt uh, surrendered, 104th EPA per play on defense, and 104th in points per drive, you know, even though, and, and we've said this plenty of times uh, throughout this series, you know, when you've got numbers like that, bringing back 10 or nine starters maybe isn't the best thing. But I think at least, uh, you know, for a new head coach in his first year to have guys who've played a lot of football is at least, uh, uh, you know, a foundation to, to work with. And a couple of guys uh, put up some, you know, at least some productive numbers in, in the secondary particular. Uh, Sammy Johnson, Antonio Fletcher. Uh, you know, those guys had a couple of interceptions each. They had um, Kenneth Harris, who was a true freshman, led the team with six pass breakups uh, tied with Johnson for that. So, you know, they, they've got some pieces here and there, but they do have quite a long way to go to get that defense shored up. And, and even though Butch Jones has had some good offenses, defenses, uh, you know, haven't necessarily always been uh quite as as good so they, they have certainly been more of an offensive minded program when, when he's been uh calling the shots so i i think that we're going to see a similar style for arkansas state i, I think we're going to see uh you know a lot of shootouts in 2021 it is a difficult non-conference schedule four wins seems uh, doable. I, I think getting back to 500 seems doable, but there aren't a lot of surefire victories. So unfortunately, I think Arkansas State is a team that really could, uh, you know, stick in this range in the in the late 80s, early 90s. Might dip into uh, you know the early triple digits uh, if we do see kind of a, a first year head coach take a step back. That often is the case. So I, I think that's possible, but I do think that in the Sun Belt with a talented team, a pretty experienced team, especially at the quarterback position, uh, you know, I, I think that this is a bowl-capable uh, team, but they are going to have to win a lot of coin flips, probably going to have to uh, win a lot of shootouts to do it. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, Butch Jones seems to fit here, right? I mean, uh, good offense, bad defense. That's kind of what it's been at Arkansas State recently, and like Nick said, doesn't seem like they're going to have to switch up their style a lot. As soon as Nick said that he feels like uh, Arkansas State is a bowl-capable team, I wanted to get my, my, my best Lee Corso impression and be like, not so fast, my friend. 
because uh, <laughs> I, I just don't see where they are able to get that sixth win. You know, you look at their schedule, and I'll start with their schedule, and their schedule is not easy whatsoever. You know, you, you look at their non-conference, Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas is a pretty good team. You know, we, we saw them compete a lot this past year. They looked like they were scheduled literally by everybody to start the year off. Uh, they played in week zero, if I'm not mistaken, correct, Nick? I'm not mistaken. I believe they did last year. Yeah, Central mm-hmm. Central Arkansas played Austin P in that first game, and then they yes. turned around, played UAB tough for a half. Uh, yeah, they you know they 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 uh, were competitive for sure. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get much better right after that. You end up playing Memphis, and then heading all the way to Washington in the next two weeks. So for me, I, I'm not ready to say that they beat Washington. So I would call them a one and two ball club after their non-conference schedule. And then the Sun Belt for them, it, for me, in my opinion, is going to get better next year, especially at the bottom. Uh, you know, I, I think that when you look at them, you look at a team like Georgia State, a team like Georgia Southern, I think they get better next year. We might say some steps back from maybe a Louisiana because of all of the talent that they lost. But I think App State gets better next year because they were down this year uh and coastal i think continues to do what they did last from last year into this year so i don't know where i find six wins uh for arkansas state i love the hire from bush jones i just think they're like a year or two off uh and i think that that's what they did and they showed that in the recruiting uh on the recruiting trail as well they didn't really go out and get anybody you know they, they signed 14 kids total uh but they finished seventh in the uh in the Sun Belt this year which not all that great after the year where you finished fourth, and they finished 107th nationally after finishing 96th. They really, really hit the transfer portal hard, and I think that that tells you that they're not necessarily ready to make that jump. There, it is a win now kind of mentality with their recruiting. I just don't see it translating onto the field uh, next year. I'm looking at what I think is going to be a four-win ball club, you know, somewhere around exactly what they did last year, maybe five wins, you know, but the Sun Belt, it's always weird. They might be able to pull one out against Southern. Heck, they might even be able to beat Louisiana. The Sun Belt is so weird in that way that they could probably pull out a game against a team that is more talented than them and at the time playing better than them. That's just kind of how the Sun Belt rolls. But I think they're, I think, I love the Butch Jones hire, and I think that they're maybe one or two years off to getting back to what they were about two years ago. And I think that that's because he'll be able to do a lot of good recruiting down there. He's a big name in the Southeast. He'll be able to bring kids into Arkansas State that maybe not wouldn't go normally. We see it somewhat on the recruiting trail this year, bringing in transfers from Florida State already. So I think they're a couple of years off, and I'm not willing to call them bowl capable. I would say four wins to five wins is what I'm comfortable saying. Well, the next team we have up here was a bowl winner this year, mm-hmm. Hawaii. At yeah. five and four, they beat Houston in the New Mexico Bowl. Uh, they're 79th in returning production, but they do have a couple all conference players coming back. And Chevin Cordero, the most, the highest ranked recruit ever at Hawaii, is coming back, uh, of course, for another year. Uh, not a lot of changes here. They had nine transfers out, five transfers in. Their re- recruiting class was not great. I mean, tough for Hawaii to recruit during COVID, 123rd ranked recruiting class. So, Nick, how do you see uh, your favorite? team here why uh the rainbow warriors uh looking for 2021 i uh i do watch a lot of hawaii football and and do uh enjoy that i i i i didn't have a good read on hawaii i've said it how many you know a dozen or more times uh in the the 40 teams we've talked about already how i didn't have a good read on that particular team going into 2021 well hawaii was was that team for me in 2020 you know, Todd Graham had been out of the game for a couple of years, uh, had had some success. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like maybe he could have 
uh, gotten another year at Arizona State. Maybe he had won enough there, but uh, just you know didn't didn't end up uh, working out. They go to Herm Edwards, and and then he wasn't able to to uh, get another job for a little while. Seemed like a little bit of an odd fit, and it's kind of playing out that way a bit. They surprised me. I didn't have very high expectations. They surprised me. Uh, getting to a bowl, winning the bowl. Uh, they, they really changed up the offense quite a bit. It, it's you know somewhat difficult to go from a, a specific system, whether it's you know a triple option offense or something like that. Well, Hawaii was in the run and shoot, which basically they're the only team in college football who ran uh, a fairly traditional run and shoot. And to, to transition from that, where you're doing specific things over and over and over and over, to uh, really just kind of a, a, a you know a, a real hybrid sort of uh, you know kind of difficult to even put a label on uh, sort of the offense that that Hawaii ran last year. They you know used a guy like Calvin Turner, who was a great story by the way, Jacksonville University. Uh, ended up shuttering its program. He goes on, uh, transfers to Hawaii when Nick Rolovich was still there, was a triple option quarterback at Jacksonville, expected to play defensive back at Hawaii, ends up playing a a, running back, wide receiver hybrid, leads the team in uh, in, uh, receiving 44 targets, 33 catches, uh, over 500 yards, six touchdowns. And, you know, basically was was right there with the team leaders in uh, rushing as well for 300 yards rushing and four touchdowns. So he was a, a, just an absolute uh, steal, a, a find there that, that nobody really expected anything from. And, you know, then they turned Chevin Cordero, who you mentioned was uh, highly regarded as a, a high school prospect in Hawaii, ran the run and shoot in high school, ran the run and shoot uh, and, you know, looked good in spurts under Nick Rolovich was challenging uh, Cole McDonald, who, who, you know, was uh, talented enough to get drafted last year, left for the NFL a year early. And Cordero, you know, would, would end up getting a, a, you know, McDonald might get himself benched. Cordero would come in. Cordero had a handful of starts. So he, he you know, takes over. It becomes his team, his offense, and he really kind of changes styles, runs for almost 500 yards, seven touchdowns, led the team in rushing, uh, you know, did throw for 2,000 yards. But uh, I thought at certain times took a, a little bit of a step back as a passer, just wasn't used to kind of the new way of doing things, was used to playing in one system uh, for, for so long, you know, half a, half a decade or, or whatever it was, dating back to his senior year in high school. So felt that that was a little bit bumpy, but, you know, they cobbled together enough to, uh, you know, win games, get to a bowl game, knocked off Nevada, who was undefeated at the time, looking like a, a Mountain West uh, contender, championship title contender. Uh, they, you know, played San Jose State pretty well. So they were a, a, uh, a very tricky team to play. And part of it was sort of this uh, (laughs) just indescribable offense. Part of it was, uh, you know, a lot of new faces, uh, just completely different system on on both sides of of the football. So even after what I saw, and even after being surprised, uh, in 2020, I still don't even know if I have a great feel for Hawaii because I don't know exactly what they want to be. That was one thing under Nick Rolovich. When he decided to go 
uh, to the run and shoot. He said, okay, this is what we're going to be. This is our identity. This is, you know, what June Jones did and and turned Hawaii into a team that went to a BCS bowl game. Uh, That's, that's going to be our identity. That's what the fans identify with. That's what the program identifies with. Uh, Todd Graham, you know, I, I don't, I think he said he'd actually maybe never been to Hawaii even before he took the job and, and just sort of feels. But a it's little... his dream job. And this is my home. It always has been every place he's landed. He said that <laughs> stuff. I think Hawaii was the first place he didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, he just he's, he's got deep Texas roots, uh, you know, coached in, in at Rice. Uh, he, he spent a, a few years in Tulsa. So uh, just north of there, of course. But, uh, you know, Hawaii is not recruiting the state of Hawaii very well right now. That's something Rolovich really did kind of, uh, you know, kept uh, not all the great players, obviously. And, and a lot of guys are leaving to go to the PAC 12 and then a couple, you know, Tuatonga Bailoa being a big one, uh, leaving for uh, Alabama, of course, but, you know, was, was doing a decent job, especially along the line of scrimmage of, of getting some talented players to stay home, uh, was, was getting creative in, in some of the recruiting that they were doing out in, uh, in the Pacific just overall. And the, the new coaching staff under Graham is very Texas-centric. That seems to be really what they're – you know, going out and, and recruiting right now. And, and it makes sense because he's got a ton of, you know, connections there and, and from his time as a high school coach there and, and then uh, recruited it when he was at Arizona State, when he was at Tulsa. But it just, I don't know. They, they don't really seem to be, uh, don't really seem to have an identity right now. So I, I think they've got some talented players. They've got some talented pieces. I'm a little bit worried that, you know, the, the, Offensive coordinator G.J. Kenny is gone to UCF now. The wide receivers coach, co-offensive coordinator Brendan Marion is gone to Pitt. So what is the offense going to look like? We don't have an offensive coordinator uh, named yet, so we don't really know if they're going to change to more of a specific you know, style or system or, or if it's going to be a little bit more grab-baggy like it seemed last year. But one one thing that, that they do seem to have figured out, the defense took a big step forward. and. You know, it's a new look defense brought in a head coach, former head coach from Azusa Pacific, uh, and he became the defensive coordinator there. Uh, That was one thing under Rolovich, why was often in the 100s and, and, uh, you know, most categories. But under Victor Santa Cruz, they were top 60 in yards per play allowed. Uh, They were in the 80s in EPA per play on defense, 51st in points per drive allowed. Uh, pretty solid performance there. 71st in success rate against. And then they were actually top 30 in yards per pass attempt allowed, which is pretty impressive, especially because they lost their best defensive back, Corte, uh, excuse me, uh, Eugene Ford, uh, in, we, in the second game of the season. So a guy that they were, you know, longtime starter, expected maybe an all Mountain West type uh, player. He goes down with an injury and they still are able uh, to do some really good things defending the pass and against some pretty high octane offenses. Nevada being, you know, they were they were clicking on all cylinders, throwing the football all over the place, and then they go out to Hawaii and and you know get tripped up, end up losing that game, and and they took Romeo Dubs, who looked like an All American prior to that point, uh, completely took him out of the game. So I was incur- encouraged from what I saw. Uh, from Hawaii on defense and and the offense, you know, the numbers were not bad. It just didn't quite, I don't know, something doesn't 
quite feel like uh, they're up to full speed yet. And maybe they get there in year two uh, under uh, under Todd Graham. But you know, I kind of I kind of want to see uh, what direction they're really going in because it it didn't give me a feel uh, that that I don't know. It just didn't seem like Hawaii football to me. What we got used to. Uh, under the role of a chair and, and, you know, programs change. I, I get that, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm still a little skeptical, uh, <laughs> but I, I did take some, some, uh, you know, positive signs there from, from what we saw defensively in Hawaii. Xavier, what do you think about Hawaii this year? Like Nick said, they're kind of, they're, they're a team that seems to be in a little bit of transition. Like I said, tough to recruit during COVID. Um, and they, I think they just announced the other day that they're going to actually have home games this year because mm. that was a little bit up in the air because of COVID as well. Uh, your thoughts on Hawaii for 2021? I mean, this is such a, a weird situation. I think it's funny the first three teams we've talked about kind of have all kind of all have the same the similarity where we're maybe a year or so off, maybe two years away from really making that jump. But Hawaii was a competitive outfit last year. You know, this is a team that took you know. Boise State, 40-32. San Jose State, who was a team that finished, I believe, 7-1 and one last year, 35-24. I mean, these are not, you know, blowout losses whatsoever. And it, it's weird because when you, it, most people would think Hawaii offense. And they have been for my entire life probably, you know. But in the fact that they're, you know, so they, they, their bread and butter last year was their defense, it's completely different than anything that we've probably seen from Hawaii for a while now. Uh, but I think that they're definitely trend, they're definitely trending in the right direction. You're absolutely right. It's so hard to recruit at Hawaii, you know, and with all the COVID restriction last year and, not the, and no communication and all that kind of stuff, it's really difficult for Todd Graham. But, I mean, he hit Texas hard. I mean, he, he got five recruits out of the state of Texas last year, uh, just alone, uh, six with a hard commit, but he hasn't enrolled. He, he didn't sign a letter of intent yet, but we're still waiting for that. So he was able to still recruit his bread and butter, just maybe at not the level in which he may have wanted to due to COVID. But that's a good sign. If you're able to get kids from Texas to come to Hawaii, it's a really good thing because that is so far away from their homes. Go ahead. Well, I was I was just going to make a, a, a quick point, and and they did the same thing late last year after mm-hmm. he got there, started recruiting Texas really heavy, and got some you know pretty pretty promising guys, but uh, multiple players have already entered the transfer portal, and and when you and and you know we talk about most people think Hawaii that they go oh, paradise, oh absolutely would love to live there and all, well you're taking a, a 18, 19 year old kid who has maybe lived in Texas his entire life, has never, you know, experienced something completely different. And maybe even in in our day and age right now, hasn't even visited yet, is is going to be moved 4,000 miles away from his, or, or even more, 5,000 probably, from his family. Uh, you know, uh, he can get players to say, yeah, I, I'll go to Hawaii from, from my high school in Texas. But I, I feel like it's kind of a dangerous thing how many of those guys are going to get homesick or going to say, you know what, maybe it's just I feel it's too different. I need to get back. And, and so I think there really is a concern there, like just the, the philosophy of completely moving the area of the country that you focus on for recruiting. It, it just I don't it doesn't sit well with me. Like I, I, I think that they just as a, as a program and, and Todd Graham, I'm sure knows 
<laughs> a lot more than I do and, and you know, has his, his reasons. Uh, but it just, you know, you, you got to do a better job at home, especially in such a unique situation with Hawaii, because, yeah, you can get, you know, a, a few high level three star players to say, yeah, I'll go. I'll go play in Hawaii. That sounds great. Never been there. Be awesome. And, and you know, maybe maybe you get a higher percentage of those guys who once they get there decide, you know, what, this doesn't maybe feel like home for me. I, I think I'd rather transfer back and play it you know, whatever FCS mm -hmm. Texas school that that's just a little closer to home. So I think it's, yeah, you know, you can get some talented players and, and he does have connections there, but I think it's also a little bit, uh, it, it, things can go wrong when you do that too. I don't know. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. You make a great point. I think the, the best point you made was that these kids could get homesick, you know, and that it could end up being a situation where they transfer back or they're more inclined to transfer home if it doesn't go right for them immediately. So I absolutely agree with you on that route. You know, I think that that could be a problem later on, but I mean, and he's got to recruit the islands better in Hawaii. Uh, Cause I mean, we know the talent comes out of there. So we, he has to do that better, but I, I will say that it is a good sign that he's able to recruit, you know, in the country as well, inland uh, as well, especially in a state like Texas, which is so oversaturated for talent that if you're able to get, you know, four or five kids from the state of Texas and pull them away, then that's a really good sign for you recruiting as well. Going into their schedule next year, I'm not really excited about their non-conference. I'll be honest with you. They play at UCLA, Portland State, and at Oregon State. I'm not ready to have them win anything but maybe one of those ball games. Um, and once we get into Mountain West play, I'm I'm really I'm gonna reserve myself and say that I think that this is a bowl eligible ball club again. I'll say five to six. I'll say six wins. Uh, the Mountain West Conference was really weird last year. I mean, Boise State had a pretty a, a quote unquote down year for them. Most most you know schools would probably say that was pretty good, but a down year for Boise State. San Jose State kind of came out of nowhere and played really really well throughout pretty much the entire season. Uh, even San Diego State was another one of those teams that defensively was pretty, really, was really good. Uh, so I think that there's, this is a team that I'm confident in saying could get six wins. Uh, you looked at, I think they could beat New Mexico State. Okay, am I looking at this correctly? They, they played New Mexico State twice, yes. The okay, I was, I, was yeah. like, I was like, wait a second. If is, you're going to play somebody like, twice. That's the team to play. I yeah. mean, now, now, now I'm guaranteeing a bowl game. I mean, that's, that's that's four wins right there, that, or at least three wins right there that I think they can get. Uh, I think they can beat Utah State. We talked about them in previous episodes as well. I think this is a team that can, without any major injury, gets to six wins minimum. I'll say that right now. I think that Hawaii is able to get two back-to-back -back bowl games. All right, so the next team up here is Wyoming, and another team that didn't get a full schedule, two and four in here. Um, they're 29th in returning production, so mm -hmm. they do have uh, some players coming back for sure. 111th ranked in the recruiting class, and the portal for them is not going either way. Uh, they have one out, one in. I mean, it, it's very, very strange that this is the only school I've looked at. I'm like, is this link broken? What is happening here uh, on 247? Because it's just not... No one's coming in. No one's going out. Uh, they were um, really good on defense last year in the six games, only allowing 21 points per game, but 82nd ranked in scoring offense at 26 and a half. So they brought in uh, some new uh, coaches here. Tom uh, Polasek is their new offensive coordinator and QB coach. He was the Iowa offensive line coach last year. And uh, Derek Frazier is the new OL coach. Uh, the he was a Jets assistant OL coach last year, Nick. So, uh, your thoughts on Wyoming going into twenty twenty one? Yeah, I, I 
feel almost the exact opposite about Wyoming as I do Hawaii. I, I think that we know exactly what Wyoming is, what they've always been, what they probably mm-hmm. always will be. Every once in a while, you, you jump up, you get a, a real special player like Josh Allen, and, and things might change just a little bit. But even then, uh, you know, his, his senior year didn't quite go uh, according to plan as far as what we expected. They would open things up and, and really let him, uh, you know, just let it fly. They they run the football. They play ball control. They, you know, limit your possessions. And uh, a lot of that translates to, you know, strong defensive numbers. Uh, traditionally, you know, when, when you take away uh, possessions, teams aren't going to score as many points, aren't going to put up as many yards. But also, you know, looking a little deeper, they performed incredibly well in a, a lot of uh, efficiency metrics, a lot of drive stats. They were 12th in the country in yards per play allowed. Uh, they were sixth in the country, EPA per play on defense, 18th overall in points per drive allowed, 26th in success rate against, and uh, 36th in yards per pass attempt. So if, if you were going to go after them, you know, it, it really needed to be through the air. But even then, top 40 uh, in yards per pass attempt against. So, you know, they, they played solid defense and then the, the offensive numbers – uh, you know, were not great, but they ran the football really quite well. I mean, Xavier Valaday over 500 yards. He dealt with some injuries, but he's a, a you know a talented guy. They also have Trey Smith, who's a former uh, Louisville transfer who had almost 500 yards. You know, is a backup. It's not necessarily a, a uh, sharing carries scenario, but because of the the injuries to Valaday, uh, he got almost as many touches out, out of the backfield. Levi Williams had to step up and, and start at quarterback after what the second play of the year. Uh, Sean Chambers was was the starting quarterback but had a you know second consecutive season ending injury at a severe leg injury on the opening drive of the season. So Levi Williams steps in kind of at first glance looks a little like Josh Allen, you know prototypical size, big arm, uh, can run a little bit, had 100 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. So passing numbers, not great. Uh, was you know Only had one passing touchdown. Wyoming as a team only had one passing touchdown last year. But, you know, seven and a half yards per pass attempt, not terrible. Certainly room for improvement. But, uh, you know, not a lot of weapons in the passing game on the outside for sure. But they do have plenty of guys who can run the football, and, and they certainly do a good job as well. You know, stopping the run, playing good defense. Chad Muma, uh, all, all Mountain West linebacker, filled the stat sheet, led in tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, had, you know, 16 production points. Uh, our numbers, when we look at, at you know, a variety of different statistics and, and add to that overall player rating, uh, you know, he's a guy that, that, is a, a leader of that defense and, and has worked his way up to uh, almost a 91 rating as a, a junior going into his traditional senior year. They've got some talented guys in the secondary. Uh, Asias Gandhi, a, a senior last year, but has six production points. Pretty, uh, pretty high number for a defensive back, especially one that doesn't get a ton of uh, you know, ton of tackles and, and that sort of thing. But they had some really solid uh, interior defensive linemen as well. Six production points is really, really difficult to get for an, an interior defensive lineman. And they had two young guys do it, a uh, redshirt freshman Jordan uh, Bertignol, probably messed that up, my apologies, and uh, nose tackle sophomore Cole uh, Godbout. So both of those guys, you know, still 
under an 80 as far as their uh, overall player rating goes. But uh, they were very, very productive last year. And they're, you know, they kind of uh, are examples of, of what Wyoming does. They are never going to recruit, you know, at, at a top 100 level. I mean, they're 120s, 180. I think they, I think they have a semi-decent uh, class actually in, in 2020, but for the most part, they're going to be at the very end, just not a whole lot of talent around, but Craig Bull and his staff do a good job of, you know, picking players up here or there, putting them in, you know, the system, coaching them up, play kind of a, a old school, you know, <laughs> ball control, limit your opponent possessions. And, and then, you know, that keeps your defense fresh. And they they picked up some really good uh, defensive players as well. I mean, they had two guys drafted last year, or, you know, in, in the, the 2020 NFL draft, Logan Wilson, uh, great All-America caliber linebacker. Uh, but, but they had two guys, you know, they, so they're able to develop uh, some players as well and, and do have a good eye for underrated talent and, and players that are, you know, not a whole lot of other programs are, are going after because, you know, who, who recruits Wyoming and, and the Dakotas and Montana and Idaho, you know, so it's, they, they do have their, their pick, but you know, there, there are not very many players and a lot of distance between them. So they've got to be creative. They've got to, you know, uh, develop big guys along the line of scrimmage the offensive line had a ton of injuries last year. Uh, probably could, you know, will be a little bit better next season. Hopefully, if it's if it's healthy. But I think Wyoming, you know, because Valade is back, because Levi Williams got another year, uh, or excuse me, got a full year of experience. If Sean Chambers comes back healthy, he can run the football. He can be a weapon uh, at the quarterback position. Don't have a ton of weapons, as I said, at, at receiver. But I, I think that Wyoming is going to be a consistent team. Don't really expect things to change with the new offensive coordinator uh, and think that they're going to be, again, bowl capable. I I don't know that we necessarily will have our numbers, you know, Wyoming favored to win very many games, especially in in the Mountain West. But they're certainly capable of getting six, maybe even seven wins, knocking off teams that are more talented. The non-conference schedule, not super difficult. You do have the MAC champ. Uh, Ball State, but Northern Illinois didn't win a game last year. Montana State, an FCS opponent, good FCS opponent. And that's actually the offensive coordinator of Wyoming left to become the head coach at Montana State. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, first game. But UConn, absolutely winnable. And then Mountain, you know, the Mountain West, there's no surefire loss. They do have to go to Boise State. They, they end with four straight State. home games, too. Well, the so the dates are not. I, I see what you're looking at. The dates oh, are not final. Dates are not. Final. I mean, okay. yeah. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. You're <laughs> but, right. But <laughs> you know, so the the road the road games are going to be difficult. Air Force, yeah. Boise State, San Jose State. But I would I would say that you know I know that they haven't done great against Boise State in the past, but I I would say that that's not a guaranteed loss. And if if Boise State's not a guaranteed loss, I think every every other game is winnable. They they won't win them all, but I, I think they will be competitive week in and week out. So we'll, you know, we'll see. I, I think that Wyoming is going to be a team that starts in the mid eighties, nineties in our, our preseason rankings uh, once those come out in uh, April. But uh, yeah, I, I think that they're going to be a team that has a better record than what the, the numbers, what our projections will show. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on, on Wyoming, uh, interesting school, school, of course, uh, you know, 
uh, kind of the opposite of Arkansas State, really good on defense, not so hot on offense, and a run-the-ball-and-play-run defense type of a, a school too. So um, decent schedule, like Nick said. What do you think? You know, it was weird. Like, I was looking at their schedule from last year, and this team could have easily, easily been 5-0. and I mean, you lose by one to New Mexico, eight to Boise State. You lose in overtime to Nevada to start the year off, and you lose by 10 to Colorado State. That was the biggest margin of loss last year. So I genuinely think that we're looking at a team that might take a, that next step coming into this year. I'm not saying that they're going to win the Mountain West by any means, but I think Nick's absolutely right. They will probably be in every game that they play this year, at the very least, competing every single one of them. Uh, you know, I think Boise State's the only game I see them, you know, really being outmatched. But somebody would have said that last year, and they only lost by eight points. So I think that, you know, Wyoming's one of those teams. They're going to keep the score down. They're going to make you play their style of football. They're going to limit your possessions, kind of like we talk about all the time with Army, uh, how they make sure that you have to score on your possessions because if not, you might not get the ball back. You know, that's kind of the similar style in which Wyoming plays. I think that lends to them being in more games, kind of an uglier kind of football. We talk about this with Iowa a lot as well. Uh, so I like Wyoming going into this year. Funny, fun fact for you guys. So, Scott, you talked about earlier how Wyoming does not look for transfers, whether they go in or out. They've had three transfers in the last six years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like uh it's like a prison. You're stuck. You're stuck in Wyoming. Uh, well, I mean, if you run off the campus of Wyoming, where you going? Well, yeah, that's true. And and you know, not like Nick said, uh just imagine being a traveling scout in that area. You better love driving uh between Wyoming and Idaho and Montana and and you know all that big sky country. Beautiful country. There. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, so if you do like driving, it's great to drive in, but uh, that's a lot of driving. All of us. So since you said that, might as well go ahead and cheat plug it. If you love to drive, might as well listen to the CFB Winning Edge podcast. You know, I, I'm just saying, you've got all that time on your hands. Might as well tune in. Uh, I feel, but I, I, think you're, I think you're preaching to the choir here, Xavier. <laughs> folks <laughs> folks are, are actually listening to the CFB. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like Wyoming to to be up there, to be closer to double digits. I'm not going to say they are, but with a full schedule next year, I think this is a team that can win seven eight ball games. Uh, I think Nick's absolutely right. They can they they'll be in every game. Whether they're able to finish them off is the only concern I have with the limited play that they have at quarterback. The way that they play, if they get down by a lot, it's really hard for them to come back with the fact that they don't lean on a passing game or they have a really good passing game to lean on. So, But I like this team. I think seven or eight wins is pretty solid. I'm comfortable saying that, and I think that's what they'll do next year. All right, so the next squad up here is UTSA, and they're kind of the um, I don't know the, the, the really good version of Wyoming, it, it, you know, they run the ball. Well, they, they play pretty good on offense. A lot of, uh, returning production here. They, they lost, uh, the first responder bowl. They were seven and five, uh, to Louisiana 31 to 24, but they're 27th in the nation. According to that ESPN article we were talking about before and returning production, um, 66 ranked scoring offense, 28.3 points per game, 25.7 points. Uh, per defense, giving up a game uh, was 41st. So pretty decent on both sides. Uh, middle of the line in recruiting classes as well, 72nd. They had four transfers out, four transfers in. They did fire Tyrone Nix, their defensive coordinator, and uh, that is going to go to two guys now. Jess Loeb, who was the safeties coach, and Rod Wright, who was the D-line coach, are going to split that responsibility this year, Nick. So uh, your thoughts on the Roadrunners going into 2021? 
so I've I think the first half of this uh, show it's been sort of building. I've, I've felt you know positive about the, the long term future of Michigan State. I do feel positive about the long term future of Arkansas State, even though I, I'm skeptical still about Hawaii. They overperformed last year and, and have proven that they can get to a bowl game and win it. Wyoming, I think, is capable of that. I'm I'm getting you know to a, a crescendo here. I think UTSA is a Conference USA championship contender and uh, might even uh, – I, I know that we talked a little bit about Marshall uh, earlier this week when we were doing our, our first-year head coach draft, and, and you think, okay, yeah, you know, Marshall's going to be uh, maybe the team to beat in the East again and, and all that. UTSA might be the just the team to beat. They have at the end of, of this season, and you mentioned all the you know returning production – uh, coming back, how they how they rank highly in that. So we don't know exactly what the the numbers will be for this uh, in 2021. But at the end of 2020, they had the number one uh, offense in Conference USA in terms of our offensive roster strength numbers. They had the number one uh, overall roster, uh, number one overall roster strength in Conference USA. Both of those in the top 50 nationally. So Conference USA is is definitely on the, the lower side as far as uh, talent metrics and, and our roster strength numbers go. But at the end of last year, UTSA, most talented roster uh, in that league, and they bring back just about everybody. I mean, they had uh, they did have six senior starters on defense, but everything that I've seen so far this offseason is, you know, so-and-so's coming back for his, his extra year of eligibility. So-and-so's coming back. I mean, one after the other. I haven't, uh, you know, logged, and, and it's possible I missed somebody. We will continue to update our team profiles anytime we, we see a bit of news. But uh, as of right now, I think just about everybody on defense has come back, even, even those five uh, or six senior starters on defense. That includes Charles Wiley, who had a huge, huge year. Uh, a, a former transfer, uh, you know, just absolutely disruptive pass rusher, uh, had 10 tackles for loss last year, 45 pressures, total pressures, according to PFF. Uh, he's almost a 100-rated player, according to our numbers. He's a 99.55 because uh, he put up, you know, a, a double-digit production points last year. He's coming back as, as an edge rusher. Two interior uh, linemen who are in the, the – low 90s coming back that defensive line is going to be uh probably a top 30 unit in the country uh probably the best in conference usa next year that linebacker core which i i think trevor hermanson is coming back a senior i think clarence hicks a senior is coming back i'll get final confirmation on that in, in a few weeks but uh and then you know they had a true freshman jamal uh ligon who had 11 production points just as many as Wiley did. So, you know, all of those guys are, are in the mid eighties. Uh, and then you got Wiley, who's going to be a 100 pretty soon. That's going to be, uh, they finished last season 54th in linebacker, uh, our linebacker ratings. Uh, I think that that's a top 40 unit. You know, I think it might be a top 35 unit. So defensively, you know, that front seven is going to be tough. Oh, excuse me. It is going to be tough. And then the best player that they've got on defense is in the secondary. Rashad Wisdom is, is one of the best safeties 
maybe in, in all the group of five. Very, very productive player. So I, I really like, just from an experience standpoint, UTSA uh, on defense. And, and they were, you know, not the, not the very best, but they were solid in, in the 70s yards per play allowed, 60-30 EPA per play on defense, 55 points per drive, 57 uh, success rate against, and, and then uh, 60 sixth in yards per pass attempt again. So middle of the road nationally, but, you know, still still pretty solid. And then you think another year with a, uh, you know, returning coaching staff in its second year, a lot of guys, very, very experienced, really like what, what UTSA's got uh, on defense. And, and then that's, you know, not even getting to, like I said, that number one roster strength on offense. Frank Harris at quarterback when healthy, is a dual threat guy. He had, uh, you know, nine rushing touchdowns last year, over 500 rushing yards, and threw the ball pretty well, you know, as well. 12 to six touchdown to interception ratio. Didn't risk really, you know, push things down the field. Uh, only six and a half yards per pass attempt. But you know, he's a, he's a guy that uh, can hurt you in a variety of ways. And then sincere McCormack, running back, almost 1500 yards last year, 11 touchdowns is on the very short list of, you know, top running backs, at least from a production standpoint, in college football. And, and uh, Scott, you and I were talking briefly before we started to record. I'm currently in a uh, the first CFF mock draft, college fantasy football mock draft of, of the season. Sincere McCormick was the 10th overall pick. Uh, yeah. he, was, he was fifth among running backs. So, you know, he's a guy that, that has some high expectations, probably a, a future NFL running back, as well, a guy that's just been incredibly productive from the time he stepped on on campus there, and and they've got a good offensive. I mean, UTSA is, you know, just about everybody's coming back, and unless I'm missing something, and that's that's absolutely possible. But I do a pretty good job of keeping my ear to the ground and, and making notes when I see them. But they've got a ton coming back. They had a you know we our, our first year player, or excuse me, our first year head coach draft in 2020. Uh, Jeff Trailer was the highest point winner. He, he was the the MVP of our first year head coach draft, and and so you're thinking most of the time, year two, a team takes a big step forward. You know, UTSA is already starting from a, a pretty good spot uh, in in year two for Jeff Trailer. So I'm I'm really high on UTSA. I, I don't know that they will be our highest rated Conference USA team when our our initial power rankings come out, but they finished last year third in Conference USA. 86 overall, third in, in Conference USA. Only UAB and Marshall were better, and both of those were top 40 teams. So there's a pretty big gap there. But I expect UTSA to be they they might jump up 20 spots. They might be in the mid 60s, and they certainly could be number two uh, with a with a shot, depending on really how much UAB is lost. Uh, they you know they they might be uh, within striking distance. Conference USA team in, in the 2021 preseason. Uh, Xavier, are you, are you as high uh, on UTSA as Nick? I mean, uh, this is a good squad. Do, do you think they could uh, potentially win Conference USA? All I'll say is this, and I, I think I said this about a team way early on, but for the negative reason. I let the kids tell me, and the kids on the recruiting trail have told me that they are drinking the Kool-Aid that's going on at UTSA, so I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid as well. This is a team that finished with the number one ranked recruiting class in Conference USA this year. They finished 72, 72nd nationally. That was a jump of almost 20 spots from the year prior and a jump of 24 spots from the year before that. 
something's going on down there at UTSA that people need to uh, really get their their eyes on. You know, and, and Nick, I think you you said as well. This is a team that dominated Conference USA last year, except for two games. UAB and a weird one to Florida Atlantic. You know, every the other two losses come from BYU and Army. And I, I really think, you know, and they played BYU really good. It was 27 to 20. So, and we remember how good BYU was last year. That was a team that people were talking about possibly in the playoff at one point in the year. So, I mean, I am drinking the Kool-Aid at UTSA. You know, uh, the the I think the game that everybody watched last year was their game against Texas State. Yes, the defense didn't play great in that one, but they played much better throughout the season and as the season progressed. And I don't see why not. You look at their schedule going into next year, and I don't see why they can't run the table. You know, they, they their, their non-conference schedule isn't too daunting. They play at Illinois, and we've talked about them already. Who Who's to say that Illinois, you know, is better than them right now? Maybe they are on paper, but as a team, I'm not so sure I can say Illinois is better than them. They're right not. Now. That's why Illinois is ranked behind them. UTSA, if they played next week, would be favored over Illinois on a neutral, on a neutral field. Right, and this is in Champaign, so I don't know if that how much that changes it. But you know, then they play Lamar, then they play Middle Tennessee State, and we've talked about what's going on there and, and the dumpster fire that we think is happening at that university. I don't see why they can't run the table and, and be a top the uh, and be a top of their conference. I think their only real competition is UAB when we look at their schedule. You know, they play uh, Western Kentucky, Rice, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, Southern Miss, and North Texas. I'm not prepared to say anybody, any of those teams can beat UTSA going into next year. And the only game that I'm looking at is uh, is UAB, but it's in San Antonio. So I really like UTSA going into next year. I am right with Nick, step stride for stride. I am drinking the UTSA Kool-Aid. I hope they don't let me down. But I am drinking the UTSA Kool-Aid. Uh, I think that this is a team that's not just not just good for a year. I don't know if they're a flash. In, I don't think they're just a flash in the pan. The way that they're beginning to recruit, this is a team that I think is trending upwards. Uh, yeah. UTSA, they better not let me down or I'll hate him forever. So, you know, that, that's kind of be my USF. Yeah, yeah. Well, USF, yeah, that was that was a real bad one. Here's one I can't get a real nice grip on here is Cal. They were one in three, um, but they had a great recruiting class rank 28th in the nation. Really, really good for them. Uh 20th ranked in returning production. So they do have a lot coming back as well. They had eight transfers out and only one transfer in, but it was a four-star safety for Florida State, Raymond Woody III. Um, they were 110th ranked in scoring mm -hmm. offense, only 20.3 points per game. Uh, good on defense still, underrated Cal defense, as I always say on my CFF show, 28.5 points per game, ranked them 48th. Uh, they got a new uh, co-defensive coordinator in Keith Hayward. Uh, he was at Oregon last year, and he comes over this year. So, um, Nick, your thoughts on uh, Cal going into 2021? This seems like a kind of a more difficult team to pin down. Yeah, it is. And, and part of that is such a small sample size, only four games. We've talked to, uh, you know, Washington State was in a similar uh, boat, just just not didn't get a good feel for him last year. And I'm trying my my very best for everything that I'm I'm taking and you know what I've learned from 2020 to apply to 2021 to to try to only take the positive things and write off most of the negative things and and you know I, I just think that that that's I don't know if I can explain exactly I don't know if that makes sense to everybody but that's what that's what yeah. I'm trying to do I'm, I'm trying to to not get bogged down when there are uh, negatives in in just you know 
four games and, and yeah. there, there just wasn't enough time for the team to uh, get rolling to, you know, a one in three start happens in college football plenty. And, and who's to say Cal wouldn't, you know, turn around if, if they got to play seven more games and finished six and six or, or seven and four. I mean, you know, it's just, it's too too small of a sample for me to really feel like I learned anything uh, to, to put a major strike against a team. I, I do feel, you know, there were some things where if a player really flashed, you know, just pure athleticism or something like that, hey, I can take that and, and apply it to, uh, you know, to 2021. But, you know, uh, Cal, I just didn't, I just didn't learn very much. And, and you know, they, they did have some, uh, there were some folks, especially in analytical circles, who thought, hey, Cal is a sneaky good team, is, you know, got the potential to challenge in, in the Pac-12 North. I remember there was a conversation uh, around some Pac-12 folks or, or, you know, on behalf of some Pac-12 folks last year, uh, you know, in the early off season and in the, the spring and summer talking about, hey, Cal is what you think Arizona State is. There was buzz that Arizona State might be a top 25 team uh, this time last year. And, and there were some folks saying, hey, no, you know, the numbers are saying Cal, that that's the potential top 25 team. Our numbers didn't think so. We had Cal 54th. I just looked back at, in our uh, preseason power rankings. And, and that was that was prior to uh, when the when the Pac-12 actually kicked off. So that was, you know, that that was when we knew. Uh, that, that things were going to be different in 2020, but they were still 54th. And, and that was about where they started, uh, uh, you know, in our, our very earliest preseason projections. I think they might have even inched up a couple of spots. Might have started in the 60s, if, if memory serves. So our numbers don't love Cal. They, they, you mentioned have a, a strong recruiting class in the most recent cycle, but really haven't recruited all that well uh, in the years prior. And, and from a lot of our talent metrics, you know they just don't they just don't grade out particularly well. I mean they're they're seventy uh, second in roster strength on offense. They are seventy third in roster strength on defense at the end of the twenty twenty season. Seventy sixth overall. So you know that means that there are roughly a dozen group of five teams that have stronger rosters than Cal, and and that's just not really a upper tier you know upper half of the Pac twelve roster and and yeah i know that they do have that underrated defense have played good defense under uh justin wilcox but that offense has not gotten there and and they did make a change in offensive coordinator coming into 2020 again i don't know if if uh you know i i'm trying not to say that it was a, a bust but bill musgrave you know early early results he's uh 97th in our offensive coordinator ranking so you know, we'll, we'll see. There's certainly an opportunity to improve. I do think Chase Garbers is a good quarterback. Uh, I remember when we were talking about transfer uh, potential for uh, quarterbacks a, a few shows ago, talking about the, the, the transfer portal and quarterbacks specifically, and Xavier mentioned Cal as a potential landing spot, and, and I didn't jump up and, and argue with him, but I thought, like, hey, Chase Garbers, I, I think is pretty good. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily expect there are going to be too many people who could go in there and, and take that job away from him, but, you know, it's it's just not a ton of depth there. The offensive line was not uh, good. They ranked 101st in offensive line performance, and and you know, just from an offensive overall team performance standpoint, ranked 107th. 
so only Michigan State was worse among the teams that we're talking about today. They were 114th in yards per play, 104th EPA per play on offense, 103rd points per drive, uh, 112th in success rate on offense, and then 119th in yards per pass attempt. So they just did not stretch the field, even though they do add, you know, did have a couple of uh, playmaking potential receivers. Uh, they did have injuries at, at the running back position. Christopher Brown, uh, you know, ended up finishing third on the team in yards, only had 65 yards and one touchdown. Damian Moore, true freshman, so showed some signs of, of uh, you know, some pretty good potential. But that offense still, I think, has a long way to go. And, I, and I'm not particularly bullish on Cal offensively uh, looking ahead to 2021. Defensively, yeah, I think they got a, they've got a chance to be pretty good, and, and a couple of their best players, uh, three of their best players, three senior starters from last year, are coming back. Cameron Good at linebacker, uh, Keone Dang at linebacker, and Elijah Hicks, the safety. So I, I think you know from what we've seen in the past defensively for Cal, and they did finish in the top fifty in yards per pat, or excuse me, yards per play against last year. So pretty pretty solid starting point there. They were in the 60s and the 70s in most other ratings that we were looking at. Uh, and then actually success rate against finished in the in the triple digits. So, you know, there, there were some maybe some some uh, red flags here and there. But I think overall, Cal's going to play good defense. They're going to be better up front. They were hurt hard, hit hard by injury last year on the defensive line. COVID, I think, hit the, the, the uh, defensive line real hard. And, and they just couldn't get a solid group there together, had to play some walk-ons, had to play some former offensive linemen. So uh, I think that defensively they're going to be fine. You know, I, I would be tempted to, to equate them to Wyoming offensively, but I don't think that's what they want to be. I think they want to be uh, more explosive on offense. They just haven't gotten there yet. So maybe they do in year two. Uh, but Cal, I, I just think from a talent standpoint and from uh, an offensive uh, from what we've seen, the, you know, in the Wilcox era, I, I kind of need to actually see some progress before I can really buy into it. Uh, so I, I think that Cal is, you know, going to be a tough out. They're they're going to upset somebody. They're going to ruin somebody Saturday. But you know, they're they're not a team that's going to go toe to toe with USC, with Oregon, maybe with UCLA. I mean, that they're going to be a, a, a top twenty five potential team. And they've got Washington on the schedule every year. You know, it, it's it's going to be tough. And they've got some tough non-conference games as well. So there are some winnable games, and, and there probably are, you know, four that they should win. But it's going to be difficult to get from four to six, I think, for Cal. It sounds like a normal year for Cal yeah. at that point. <laughs> and, you know, it's uh, they're not really competing in – uh, the Pac-12, but, you know, they go on the road and they beat Ole Miss. You know, they beat an SEC mm -hmm, team. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the Cal standard. Uh, that Maybe they win one of those big games against the Pac-12. You know what I mean? Like, uh, this is kind of what Cal does, right, Xavier? Yeah, I don't know who scheduled them to go to Oregon, to Stanford, to UCLA, and to Washington. That person needs a talking to. That's all I'm <laughs> that's just that's just a really, really tough and they have to Rude. go on the road to TCU as well. That's just not that's just not fun. Uh you know but I do I agree. Cal's formula is the same year in and year out. They'll get if they can get above average quarterback play, they'll be a seven win ball club. If they get below average quarterback play, they'll be a four win ball club. That's kind of just what Cal has been. Their defense keeps them in ball games, but their offense tends to let them down. 
Scott, remind us, you were at the Cheez-It Bowl, correct, when it was them. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, and you remember that Slugfest. So, you know. Oh, I, I, it didn't even register with me. That's a Cheez-It Bowl rematch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> 10 to 7 in yes. overtime. <laughs> hey, this is, real. What, this is Kyle football. Uh, you there know, were nine I, interceptions. <laughs> I mean, the uh, TCU was down quarterbacks, Cal was down quarterbacks, it, and they both played pretty good defense. So, you know, it was an interesting game, but there were times, you know, I I never played quarterback. I'm sitting there watching. I'm going, don't throw that ball. No, that guy's on the other side of the field across your body. Don't throw that. There it is. And it's an interception. You know what I mean? Like I could sit and diagnose the play like, uh, you know, uh, anyone would do on a highlight show. While it was happening, everything was moving so slow. It was very strange. So yeah, that was my I mean, cheese of ball rant. You brought it up. So yeah, no, 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 it's no problem at all. I think <laughs> at the end of the day, that that encapsulate kind of what Cal does. They play really good defense, and their offense is rather mediocre to above average. Uh, you know, but I, I do think that um, I think Cal is a team that's going to win four to five games this year. You know, their non-conference schedule is actually pretty easy outside of the TCU game, Sacramento State. And Nevada's a tough out, but I think that they can win that ball game. I think so. We're starting the season off two and one. In Pac-12 play, it's going to be weird. Does Colorado continue the success that they had last year? Who knows? Is Arizona as bad as they were the year before? <laughs> Shaking his head, no. To the Colorado statement, is Arizona as bad as they were last year? Probably. Uh, so I, you know, this, you know, and then we get to the nitty gritty, which is. Can they beat the teams that are right around them when we're talking about talent-wise? We're talking about the 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 Washington States, the Stanfords, the Washingtons, the UCLA's, because I think UCLA would be an improved outfit as well. I don't know. And once again, it's because they have this issue where they don't have consistent quarterback play whatsoever. However, on the positive note for, for California, the recruiting trail looks very good for them. Scott, you hit around the head. They finished 28th nationally. They finished third in the Pac-12, which I think is even more impressive, to be perfectly honest with you, because I think when you look at the, think about the Pac-12, Cal is not one of the top three teams that you think about. So to finish third in that conference is really a good outfit. For, it's really good for them. Uh, and this trend looks like it's going to continue. Currently, they're 34th nationally, fifth in the conference. Uh, and actually what's weird is their average rating is actually higher for next year's class, but we won't get too much into what that necessarily means. But I think Cal's a, a five-win ball club. I'm going to sit there. They might be able to go out and get a sixth one. I doubt it. I'll stick with five. That's what I'm comfortable with, Cal. All right. The, the next squad up here is uh, Florida State. And, um, you know, no, no, no coaching changes this year, which is nice, but Mike Norvell got into a uh, bumpy start uh, in the offseason, to say the least, uh, having some issues with some of his players. They finished three and six, uh, 85th in scoring offense. I mean, these are not Florida State numbers, 105th in scoring defense, giving up 36 points per game. Uh, just a terrible year for them. Uh, 53rd in returning production, but being the team that they are, Florida State and recruiting Florida 23rd. Uh, as far as recruiting class goes for 2021, they have 13 transfers out, nine transfers in, but some big time ones here. Mackenzie Milton from UCF, obviously coming off the broken leg a couple years ago, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation at that point. Uh, Alex Smith style broken leg and recovery. So uh, we'll see what he has. And Andrew Parchman is a big get from Kansas as well, Nick. So, um, you know, Florida State, uh, a lot of these teams are, are 
Um, kind of tough to figure out, and I think Florida State absolutely fits this mold, but it's weird to see them this far down. Yeah, it definitely is weird. And and I mentioned, you know, similarly, Michigan State was the top 35 team in our, our team performance of the last five years. Uh, Florida State is too. I mean, they, they were 35th in uh, that five-year weighted average coming into the 2020 season. But the three-year weighted average, it dropped into the mid-50s. And then now, you know, we're, we're looking at a team that in 2020 – uh, Florida State ranked 110th in team performance. So, you know, when we do those adjusted numbers, that five and, and three year window, you know, that that's just going to be falling even farther into, into the 40s, into the 60s uh, for both of those respectively. So things are are trending in the wrong direction and pretty quickly. And it's not like Florida State was operating at a, a you know, super high level uh, at the very end of the Jimbo Fisher era. Jimbo Fisher era, but it's, it's gotten progressively worse and, you know, it, it will it continue or is Mike Norvell, uh, who, like you mentioned, got off to a really rough start, you know, before they even played a game, uh, going to be able to get things turned around. Part of that sometimes is, is turning over the roster. Uh, there have been plenty of, of whispers and rumors that there were some, you know, clubhouse cancer type players on the roster seems like some of those are, are gone you had plenty of you know really highly recruited uh players who you know had played a lot of football and and are you know have pro careers but maybe were uh ready to you know had one foot out the door so to speak we're, we're ready to kind of move on and and uh so maybe maybe getting a lot of new blood maybe maybe you know eight FBS transfers is, is going to help you do that. A class of, you know, 17, 18 high school players do another, uh, you know, run through the, the cycle there. Maybe, maybe just getting some new blood will help turn things around, but you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to, to cover up some of the issues that they've got on the roster at the end of the season. Florida State had an offense that ranked 79th in our offensive roster strength numbers. That is not what we're used to with Florida State. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, that's a weaker roster than, uh, you know, uh, teams that, that they shouldn't be recruiting against like UCF in their own state. I mean, they're, they're uh, not on the same level offensively with what Florida had, right? They're not even on the same level with what Miami had, even though they had similar program trajectories there for a little while of, of you know, some disappointing finishes. Defensively, they were, they were, sitting pretty well from a pure talent standpoint. Coming into the 2020 season, they were among the elite teams in, in defensive roster strength. They were top five, maybe even top two, if memory serves. But by the end of the year, a lot of those guys had, had dropped off. I mean, they did have, uh, you know, an All-American type safety, uh, uh, Nazuluddin, who, who uh, was – you know, took him a long time to get on the field because of injury. And then they had some guys that just sort of, you know, fell off toward the end of the year, some injuries here and there, some draft, and they, they slipped a bit in our defensive ratings into uh, 18th uh, in our defensive roster strength at the end of the year. But, you know, combine that together and Florida State's roster at the end of, of last season ranked 50th overall. And that's just not what we're used to. That is not good enough. And, and that's not a recipe to get things turned around. The McKenzie Milton transfer is, is very interesting. He hasn't played a game in two years. He was a 100 rated player 
you know, according to our numbers, it just put up tons and tons of production at UCF, but all of that was 2018 and prior. So uh, one thing that we're doing this year as, as we're getting ready to, to uh, hopefully finalize in, in the last, you know, the next month, our 2021 numbers, we're only using production points from the 2019 and 2018 season. So Mackenzie Milton, as great as he was, was a 100 rated player uh, before he got hurt, is going to be a 78 in, in 2021. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, we haven't seen him in two years. We don't know if he's going to be uh, at full strength. So I, I don't feel comfortable saying that, yeah, Florida State landed a, a max 100 rated player, Mackenzie Milton. Oh, don't we remember how good he was uh, two years ago? So, you know, it, it, it looks great on paper and, and I absolutely am excited to, to watch him, uh, you know, play football again. And, and I hope he gets back up to that uh, level that he was prior to that. But, you know, from, from what we're doing here, from a black and white number standpoint, you know, we, we, we just can't. So he's he's going to be roughly uh, the same rating as Jordan Travis, who, you know, not a great uh, not a great passer, a little over a thousand yards, six touchdowns, six interceptions did, you know, when, when he connected over eight yards per pass attempt, that that's a that's a something we can work with, especially uh, when you have, you know, 500 rushing yards, seven touchdowns and, and they have uh, really, you know, had three backs who they were able to, to get going at, at certain times. That's a, that's sort of something that we've seen a lot under Norvell, his previous stop at Memphis. They were just always running backs kept coming one after the other. And, and they had three guys with over 350 yards last year, but you know, the receiving core I, I'm used to, and they did have to Marion Terry, who's, who's going to get drafted. Uh, but you're used to seeing just elite receivers uh, talent-wise at Florida State, and they did not have that beyond Terry. And he had, you know, some injury issues and ended up uh, opting out midseason. But by the end of the year, Florida State just wasn't a team that was really capable of, of uh, making opposing defenses fear the pass. And, and that's not, you know, that that's not what I'm used to when I think of Florida State. And I'm, I'm older than Xavier is, but I remember – uh, Florida State being a, a, you know, attack the field vertically, uh, out-athlete the other team. And, and right now they just aren't, they aren't built for that. So I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I, I don't see a quick fix. And our numbers did like Florida State a lot over the past few years, had them in the top 25. Each of the, the first three seasons we've done this preseason, just based on, that recruiting strength of what they had done brought players in and, and just, you know, weren't able to, to translate that to the field. And until I see it under Mike Norvell, and, and I do think that he's capable of it, but it, it certainly wasn't that, you know, wasn't the case last year. They were a bad football team, 110th in overall team performance, 98th on offense and a 114th on defense. When we're talking about a team that had somewhere between the number two and number 18 uh, roster uh, on you know uh, defensive depth chart uh, that that is absolutely inexcusable. So I, I kind of have to see it. I, I don't know if Florida State's going to be capable of getting back to a bowl game. I mean, you know, they play Notre Dame next year. They have some winnable games, obviously, and and you know the ACC. There's there's plenty of room to jockey for position behind uh, behind Clemson, but. I don't know. I, I don't think I can trust them to win the games they're supposed to win. And it's going to be difficult for them, I think, to, to pick off games 
that uh, they shouldn't win as well. So it's, I mean, you know, three wins <laughs> it probably uh, is, uh, they'll probably beat that. They'll probably get to four, maybe five. But, man, I don't know. I don't think Florida State's uh, right now built to be uh, a team that's going to finish over 500 next year. What do you think, Xavier? Can they bounce back or are you with Nick and it looks like a struggle from here? They're struggling. And I don't see where this changes next year whatsoever. Uh, you know, and it's weird because a team with this much talent should not be struggling this much. It just shouldn't happen. But, but they're just not that talented anymore. Well, that's it's, true. All the talent's that's gone. True. I mean, there's there's this class is yeah, maybe, and, and the transfers we'll see. But I mean, 50th in roster strength, that's that's unbelievable for Florida. Yeah. State. I, I mean, and and when you fall in and recruiting shows all. I mean, they finished fourth in the ACC this year. I mean, they're finishing behind teams that they used to stomp on the recruiting trail. You know, they're finishing behind Miami, behind North Carolina, behind Clemson, just above Pitt. You know, when we look at the, the points that they allocated through their recruiting this year, they just finished above Pitt. So they could have finished below Pittsburgh. Uh, and so that is just, you know, I don't know where they they, they write this ship. I really don't. Scott, I got to ask you, how short is Norvell's leash? I mean, they because Florida uh, State I, does not look like a university that's going to wait to get back. I think up. Florida Florida State has got to be in the same predicament that Texas uh, mm. is in right now. You know what I mean? So you, you're kind of you're playing musical chairs a little bit. Uh, you know, Jimbo was good and he's gone now. Uh, Norvell comes in. Eh, you know, they tried Taggart. They, they tried Norvell. If he doesn't put up something decent this year. I don't know, man. It's um, it's probably going to be a short leash. Maybe next year, too. I mean, if they only win three games, like Nick said, it might be curtains after two two seasons. So, you got to think so. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to accept underperforming for very long, especially like Nick said, the ACC is open after Clemson. You know, that there is opportunity here uh, to be had. So I, I think it's probably going to be a fairly short leash. I mean, and when you look at their schedule, we typically would think that Florida State would run through this schedule. I mean, Wake Forest, Louisville, Syracuse, all before they have to go to North Carolina. We would think, oh, they'd easily win 3-0. But I am i can't, you know, we, we've talked about some of these teams already on this list. I, I think they should go 3-0. I, I would suggest they should, but I can't say confidently that they will. You know, they play Notre Dame and Jacksonville State to start the year off. They might start the year off 0-2. I mean, Jacksonville State's no easy out, and we saw them struggle with, was it Samford a couple of years ago? You know, I just don't know where this team figures it out, you know, because I am I believe in Norvell, but I'm not so sure that the rest of the country does, and especially kids don't. I don't know if it's because of the lack of name or they didn't watch him when he was at Memphis, so I don't doubt, I don't, you know, I don't kill them for that. But they just don't look like they're winning on the recruiting trail whatsoever. And, and that's normally where Florida State's able to kind of right some of their wrongs. They, they bring in, you know, four or five, five stars. And they're able to make these splash recruiting uh, hits. And that's not happening. And so I don't know where Florida State goes from here. Um, man, it's, it's, it's they're in a tough situation. And, Nick, you're right. I mean, they, they hit the, the transfer portal hard, but – that going to turn into wins for them? I'm not 100%. I can't say that for sure. You know, so I am i don't know where Florida State goes. I'll give them five wins. I'll give them a little bit more than Nick will because I, I just think that their schedule lines up for that. I think they can beat Jacksonville State. They can beat Syracuse. Louisville lost a lot of talent. They can beat um, 
UMass, they have them on their schedule as well. That's four already. And they might be able to pick up a freak one somewhere in there. So I'll give them five. But that's not a confident five whatsoever. They could absolutely just win three games like Nick is saying. Uh, the, the next team up on the list here is um, Oregon State. And they were two and five, another team with an incomplete season. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, they, they've announced their starting spring late uh, in April this year, too, which is uh, a little different. But 59th in scoring offense, 28.9 points per game, but real bad on defense. 93, uh, 93rd, 33.3 points per game. But seventh in returning production. Uh, they uh, 109th ranked recruiting class, uh, 10 transfers out, only four transfers coming into Oregon State here. But a lot of guys coming back on this team. Like Xavier says, sometimes returning production of bad production is not necessarily a good thing, but at the collegiate level, we do like experience. So, uh, Nick, are you leaning more towards the, hey, look, you got a lot of returning production. This should be good for this team, or you got a lot of returning production, but it wasn't very good next year. Why would we expect different results this year? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was just looking at that returning production uh, number and seventh seems really high to me. And and I I trust Bill Connolly. He does great work, has for a long time. And I know that he, he does some uh, specific things when he's calculating that number. And, you know, on offense, he, he uh, really turns the knob down to where rushing production doesn't. Uh, play a big role. So so I, I guess I can understand that that maybe offensively, because Jamar Jefferson really is the only big time guy that we know is is going to be gone, uh, why that number seems a little bit high. But it's also a little bit misleading because yeah, all the passing production comes back, but Tristan Jebbia was the starting quarterback who ended up having a, a season-ending injury in game four. Uh, so, you know, you, you've got a guy who you expect to be your starter, don't know necessarily uh, how quickly he's going to get up to full speed. Uh, yeah, it was good to get Chance Nolan some uh, reps as a starting quarterback, but, you know, I think that still even that, you know, your, your quarterback position, it's not exactly, you know, completely – uh, ironed out, even if you've got two guys coming back with, uh, you know, with experience there. On the offensive line, you've got uh, three guys who were starters who were seniors. We're still a little bit of time, still a week until uh, those guys have to officially declare that they're going to be back uh, for, you know, that extra year of eligibility. One of them, the, the best one, Nathan Eldridge, uh, who is an all Pac-12 center, uh, you know, 90, 93 rated player was already a sixth year senior. So, uh, you know, I haven't seen an official declaration that all three of those guys are coming back. Uh, it would not surprise me if Eldridge actually uh, decides to, to move on and, and give pro football a try since he's already had six years in college. So, you know, we'll have to see that that offensive number might end up looking a little different. And then defensively, uh, you know, they're they're not among the nation's highest. I mean, they were fourth in offensive uh, returning production, 34th on defense, but the names that are leaving defensively are, are pretty big. It's Hamilcar Rashad, who, you know, had a, an all American season in 2019. He's gone. Uh, the secondary is, is going to be hit really, really hard. Isaiah Dunn, Nashawn Wright, Nashawn Wright, six, four corners actually leaving early, not just, 
uh, you know, not just a senior not coming back, but a, a guy that jumped in the transfer portal early. And then a, a, a safety senior starter, David Morris, is medically retired. So you've got three of your uh, four to five primary starters in the secondary that you've got to replace, a super productive pass rusher and uh, Hamilcar Rashad that you've got to replace. And there's some good guys coming back. I mean, Avery Roberts had a really strong year last year. Omar Spates is a good linebacker. Uh, Isaac Hodgins did some good things on the defensive line. But you mentioned defensively already was, you know, not not great. I mean, they were 100th in yards per play allowed, 115th EPA per play on defense, 109th in points per drive uh, allowed 104th success rate against the bright spot was that yards per pass attempt or their 87th. And, and we just mentioned that that's some pretty heavy turnover there defensively. So, you know, Oregon state somewhat similar to uh, Cal. There was a buzz uh, in the preseason last year because they really overachieved in 2019. There were thoughts that, Hey, yeah, this is a team that can take another step forward and, and become a bold team. Our projections did not see that. Uh, I don't know that we expected them to fall to 83rd, but you know we we did I think have a pretty good read on Oregon State uh, coming into last season. They're they're probably not going to uh, rise in our our preseason rankings next year. I mean, if all those offensive linemen come back, they're going to be coming back with that same player rating because we're not giving super seniors an extra, you know, number of of experience points. We're going to keep that where it is. They're starting over at running back, which, you know, maybe running back production can be replaced, but they're pretty thin there. I mean, BJ Baylor is the, you know, only guy that that's had any real extended uh, playing time at running back. So are they going to go to the transfer portal there? You know, you, you mentioned that they've been hitting it hard already, but you know, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know where, uh, where it's, it's going to be coming from. I mean, the, the quarterback position, if Javier comes back healthy, fine. They've got some, they've got some receivers that they can, they can work with on paper right now. It looks like they've got a good offensive line. So maybe that offense is, is going to be, uh, you know, a, a decent unit in uh, our offensive coordinator rankings. Oregon State ranks 36th. So, you know, there, there's certainly some promise there. But defensively, already you're, you're starting in a, in a bad uh, spot as far as, you know, performance ratings go and, and things like that. They were 108th in defensive performance, uh, team performance last year, 123rd defensive line performance. So, you know, we're talking about a, a pretty bad unit already, at least statistically speaking. It's not going to, you know, take a big step forward as far as experience or talent at, at this point. So I don't really think Oregon State is, is right now a team that's on the rise. I think if they had gotten uh, a longer 2020 season and, and maybe, you know, some some other guys uh, were, were more inclined to take advantage of that extra year of eligibility, Maybe, but I don't. I don't really see Oregon State taking a big step forward next year. I think they're going to start the season in the '90s, and then you know I, I think it's going to be uh, some winnable games against Idaho, Hawaii. That's probably a, a coin flip. Colorado and Cal coin flips, but both on the road. You know, Washington State as well in that in that scenario. You know, you only win coin flips fifty percent of the time, uh, at least in theory, and and then all your home games are against teams that are in the mid to, to top uh, of the Pac-12 standing. So that's not really 
uh, a recipe for a lot of upsets either. I, I don't know. I think Oregon State uh, is going to be a team that puts up a similar record and, you know, maybe can can get their ducks uh, in, in line to uh, take another step forward in, in 2022. But I just don't really see a lot of room for major improvement in 2021. Yeah, Xavier, it seems like they all have to do it on the offensive side of the ball because the defense is rough. So yeah. um, is that kind of the, the same feeling you're getting from Oregon State? Absolutely. And when you look at it recruiting-wise, that's exactly what they focused on. It was offense, offense, and some, some, some defense here in the recruiting, but very, very offensive heavy. And I think that that shows exactly what Nick was talking about, which is they've got to get better on offense. And – Weirdly enough, I feel like two years ago we were talking about Oregon State as one of those teams that had an opportunity. I feel like at the end of 2019, they had showed some growth. I, I, I vividly remember Nick going on a rant about Oregon State towards the end of 2019 in a positive light. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go the complete opposite way. I don't see where Oregon State makes a jump, whether this year or next year. Uh, I, they were really weird on the recruiting trail this year, only signing 10 kids total, four transfers, so 14 people total, and they finished dead last in the Pac-12. I, I just don't know where where was up in this situation, you know, and, you know, when you finish not only last in the conference, but last in commitments as well, I just don't know where I'm, I'm they're going. I'll be honest with you. And it doesn't look good for them, and Nick hit it right on the head when it comes to their schedule. Outside of their non-conference games, I'm not ready to give them any kind of win in any other game possible. I, I really not. Uh, yeah. I think I think it's a two, maybe three win ball club, you know, and that's if they're able to beat. And who's to say they beat Hawaii? I'm, you know, we, we talked about them earlier, but who's to say Hawaii doesn't come in and, and, and play up, you know, play up and, and beat them and, and have an upset early on in the year, especially with only being week two and you just trying to get your footing as well. So I think this is maybe a one, maybe two te- two win ball club. They might get three. Maybe, but I'm not ready to say that they're anywhere close to bowl eligibility. Now, the, the next team is, uh, uh, it's an interesting one, I, I guess, as our guy Nick would say here. But uh, Maryland, uh, Maryland 2-3 and three last year, 97th ranked scoring offense, 23.6 points per game. Not great. 80th ranked scoring defense, 32. Uh, but they're 10th in returning production, top 10. They had the highest recruiting class out of any of the teams that we've talked about here, 18th ranked, but they had 14 guys leave, only <laughs> one come in. They have a lot of coaching changes here. Uh, Maryland does. Danny Enos is taking over as OC and quarterbacks coach. Uh, Brian Braswell from Maryland, uh, he was an analyst last year, is bumping up to O-line coach. Uh, Brian Williams is now the co-defensive coordinator. He bumped up from being the outside linebackers coach last year. Um, Brian Stewart was uh, the Baylor CB coach. He is the new DC here. And Ron Zook is now the associate head coach and special teams coordinator at Maryland. So a lot of moving pieces here. They're bringing in, you know, obviously a good recruiting class, Nick. But Maryland hasn't really lined everything up quite yet to be a good competitive team in the Big Ten. So is this going to be the year for them in 2021? I'm I'm struggling to make the case other than other than recruiting success mm-hmm. and Maryland has recruited at a really high level. I, I something that I've been working on uh, the past couple of weeks that is almost almost ready to go. It'll be part of our 2021 uh, team profiles. But I, I took 
sort of the the recruiting history of each team and, and converted everything to our normal scale, our, our normal uh, player and coach rating scale to give a, a recruiting strength rating for every team. And then, you know, and also able to do the five-year weighted average, three-year weighted average, all that. Since 2015, Maryland has averaged uh, 36th in our recruiting strength numbers. And that number has gotten better and better. In the five-year weighted average, it's 32 and a half. In the three-year weighted average, 31. Uh, and, and, you know, last year they had the uh, the 2021 cycle. They're 23rd in those recruiting strength numbers. So that that if we convert that to our, our player rating scale, that's a 94. Uh, you know, on that on that sort of level, what we do is, is take all the classes from 20, uh, 21 to 2015 and, and rank them and, and give them a, a player rating equivalent, basically. And the, the class that Maryland put on the field last year was basically the, the equivalent of a, of a 94. Uh, so that's, you know, solid. You can do that year after year in and year out. That's that's a automatic bowl team you would expect. But Maryland has been anything but automatic, you know, from, from that sort of uh, perspective. So, you know, they're, they're, they're a team I cannot trust. And they <laughs> do rank really high in returning production. Again, you know, Bill Connolly does a, a, an awesome job, but I, I don't know if maybe when, when he posted uh, these numbers on, on February 1st, you know, things happen. I, I don't know if he caught all the transfers they've had since then. They've had double-digit transfers since the end of the season and, and some pretty big time guys, they lost two uh, basically starting offensive linemen, center Johnny Jordan, uh, who is the highest rated uh, offensive lineman from last year's team was, uh, you know, a, a 74 overall by PFF and, and an 86 uh, as far as his pass blocking grade. He's gone. He's, he's gone to, to Virginia Tech. Uh, right guard, starting right guard, Marcus Minor has gone to Virginia Tech. Defensively, which was already somewhat similar to, to Oregon State, had you know some real areas of concern, finished 87th in EPA per play on defense, 80th in points per drive allowed. You know, there, there were some bright spots as well. It's kind of the, the beauty of a really small, excuse me, really small sample. They actually finished seventh in the country yards per pass uh, allowed and 25th yards per play allowed. But, you know, they, they lost two of their best linebackers to the transfer portal. Chase Campbell was uh, among the most productive. He's off to Ole Miss. Uh, they also lost uh, Allende Ely. I don't think he has a, a destination just yet, but he's in, in the transfer portal. Oh, no, excuse me. He's he's gone to Georgia Tech. So, uh, so yeah, he's, he's out the door not to return. Uh, and, you know, multiple players who were former starters, uh, Antoine Richardson, a, a former starter at safety a couple of years ago, Alawusin uh, Uluwatimi, I apologize, I, I butchered that, I'm sure, nose tackle with starting experience, he's in the transfer portal. So there, there's uh, so many moving pieces, not only the coaching staff, but the roster. And, you know, maybe that number is not quite up to date where where uh, Bill had Maryland 10th in, in overall returning production top. 20 in the country on both sides of the football, because we've, we've definitely seen some movement recently. And, you know, I, I think that this is a talented roster. I really liked what I saw uh, out of uh, Talia Tonga Vailoa last year. They, they threw the football really well. I mean, over eight uh, yards per pass attempt, 
uh, ranked in the top 30 nationally. They actually ranked 12th in net yards per pass attempt, which is normally <laughs> very highly correlated uh, to winning ball games. And, and, you know, Maryland played the pass well on defense and, and they, they threw the football uh, with some success aggressively vertically last year as well. So maybe there's hope because the receiving core really should be a strength. Dante Demas is, is, uh, uh, you know, played a lot of football uh, was the returning, uh, excuse me, was, was the leading receiver last year. He's coming back. Raheem Jarrett was the crown jewel of that uh, recruiting class. Last, not this past cycle, but the one before was a five-star guy. Missed a lot of time with injury this past year, but you know has basically unlimited potential. And, and then they've got some depth at that position as well. So you put you know Tonga Vailoa, you, you put a quality uh, receiving core together. If you can block up front, which is you know a question we don't know yet because of the turnover, and if there's any semblance of a running game, which we don't know because Jake Funk is off to the NFL. You know, I, I think Maryland can be good on offense, but I, I'm struggling a little bit on defense to see. You know, yeah, that secondary uh, looks pretty good. Nick Cross, uh, you know, former really high four-star safety, almost a five-star safety, signed with Maryland uh, two cycles ago. He's already over a 90 in our player rating. So, you know, they, they've certainly got some some bits and pieces to get excited about. One maybe under-the-radar guy, uh, edge rusher, uh, Darrell Nachimi. And again, I apologize if I if I screwed that up. Played only three games last year. Played fewer than 100 snaps. Had nine production points. He graded out incredibly well, according to PFF. Was a 93 overall uh, defensive grade, 95 pass rush grade. He had 15 total pressures. He was on the field for literally 100 snaps, 99 snaps. 15 pressures. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm excited about a couple of guys here and there. Messiah Nasil Kite uh, had eight production points as an interior defensive lineman. So there are bits and pieces, but overall, I just I don't really trust what I've seen uh, with Maryland. They haven't been able to convert talent into on-field performance, and they play a lot of really tough teams year in and year out. That Big Ten East might be the toughest top to bottom in college football in 2021. They play everybody there in crossover games. They play Iowa. They play Minnesota on the road. And they've got Kent State. Kent might be, you know, the, the preseason favorite in the MAC. Going to be a really difficult team uh, to, to compete with from an offensive standpoint. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that we should not expect Maryland to make it to a bowl game. I think they are capable of, of picking up a few more wins before – Four wins, you know, maybe five if, if really you can start to uh, have those talented players live up to that potential. But I, I think until I actually see it on the field, see them win some games uh, where they are, you know, taking care of business, so to speak, uh, winning game, win the games they're supposed to win and, and maybe knock off one or two here or there that they're not supposed to win. I don't I don't think I'm going to be putting a lot of my faith in Maryland in 2021. Yeah, Xavier, Maryland, you know, big recruiting class. Seems like sometimes they get some momentum, and then when they play, the product on the field isn't as good as the recruiting class and all that stuff. So uh, are, do you have the same feeling on Maryland this year again? Yeah, absolutely. And we got Nick's first if team. 
Nick does this a couple of times a cycle. He'll have his teams that if everything comes together, they're going to be pretty good. That's the silver I, well, lining, I, though. Well, you can say I, that about everything. I haven't, I don't think, uh, said it out loud necessarily. But but one thing that that's always going through my mind, and any any listeners out there who might be unfamiliar with us or, or with the way I, I look at things, I am very rarely black and white and say this team is this and this team is that. I see things in a variety. I mean, there are so many different scenarios. There's absolutely a scenario where Maryland becomes a top 25 team. They have the talent to do that. They are a yeah. top 30. I mean, they, they might rank 30th or so in roster strength, especially on, on offense next year. But just from what I've seen, you know, the, the, the numbers, the, the play on the field as well, they are not a top 30 team. So, you know, until they can close the gap between what we've seen on the field and what the talent says they have the potential to be, you know, there, there's a ton of different scenarios in there. Everything from a two-win team to if they do play up to that potential, if Mike Loxley's calling plays like he was when he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, then yeah, maybe, you know, top 30 is not out of the realm of possibility. So there, there's a variety of different ways. Maryland, I think, has has more uh, scenarios than most teams, but I, I do specifically see teams on, on a bit of a spectrum, not necessarily, hey, they're 90th. They're the 90th best team or, you know, Maryland's 82nd right now. Uh, that That's what they are. No, they could be 35th by by time, you know, all said and done next year. They could be 105th. So, I, I you know, they, they have a, a wider range of possible outcomes, I think, than most. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, they, they are definitely in the F team. Got to live in the gray area. If this happens, things could get much better. If this happens, things could get much worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to live in the gray area on, on these teams for sure. So uh, you you could say uh, a lot of things, and you could see, hey, you know, it, they they've got good recruiting classes. They're they're changing things in and out. You know what I mean? Uh, they have great players, so maybe it lines up this year. Of course, you know, but uh, you know, it, it's it's tough when you're playing tough competition as well as Maryland does. So agreed. I, I just think it was funny. Uh, because you know I'm the much more black and white person here, uh, but you know when I when I look at Maryland, I look at a team that their recruiting for me is a misnomer, and the reasons why I say that is not necessarily because they're not good at recruiting, but of the state that they recruit in. Maryland is like the only school in Maryland that you would want to go to if you're a kid coming out of high school, and talking and having friends in Maryland, having played with teammates from Maryland, they're very prideful about staying in state. They're very prideful about playing in front of their family members and playing in front of their, uh, you know, in front of their moms and dads. And so to to have the ability uh, to recruit in Maryland being the only competition you have is you. So, I mean, for them, they're recruiting sometimes is a little bit of a misnomer because of that. Uh, and what I will say is this. I think Maryland could be a team that competes in the Big Ten this year. But their schedule is so hard, and it gets 10 times harder if Michigan and Penn State decide to wake up this year. You know, Michigan and Penn State were down teams last year. We ta I talked about this earlier in the podcast. But if Michigan returns to form and if Penn State has returned to form that they have uh, over the past couple of years, nine-win ball clubs, ten-win ball clubs, their schedule is, especially in the Big Ten, is awful. And I just don't know where I find them getting two six wins. 
You know, they I think they're right there on the borderline. They could find six. They I'm more comfortable with saying five. I think they might start the season off four and zero, and they could then lose the next six. I'll be perfectly honest with you. That's how odd their schedule is. I think they will beat Rutgers as well. So that's five right there. We talked about Michigan State earlier in the podcast. I don't know. I feel like that's a, a toss up game for them. Nick, you might have you, you probably have the numbers on that, whether or not that is a toss up game. But I think five wins I'm comfortable with. I'm not ready to go on the six and seven with Maryland because, as Nick has said, this is a team that continues to recruit well and has talent, and it just has not been able to formulate to wins. I mean, heck, not to not to make you mad, Scott. They beat the brakes off of Texas a couple of years ago, and I still think they only won four games that year. So I, I'm just not ready to say, oh, Maryland has taken that step when we've seen Maryland be a team like this before. Beat the brakes off of us. Uh, they did beat us, but, yeah, I mean uh... – they 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 play up to competition sometimes play down that's where the gray area comes from so and and look you know look when your hair starts turning gray you'll uh, be more in the gray area you know that's age age will do that to you yeah i mean i have way too much hair but all of this is gray so uh you know no no balding though not that that's not going to happen to me so the last squad that we have here is south carolina uh, unimpressive two and eight season in 2020. Obviously, Will Muschamp out. Shane Beamer uh, coming in. He was the Oklahoma tight ends coach last season. Uh, Greg Atkins comes in uh, from Marshall. Pete Lambeau comes in from Memphis to do special teams. Uh, they the whole new coaching staff. Marcus Satterfield is going to be the OC and quarterbacks coach. Uh, he was the assistant offensive line coach for the Carolina Panthers last season. So. Lots of moving pieces here. Clayton White is a defensive coordinator from Western Kentucky who has had a pretty good defense the last few years as well. Um, 124th in returning production, so a lot of guys out. Uh, 11 transfers out, uh, 8 transfers coming back in, though. A 78th-ranked recruiting class, so middle of the pack really and really low for the SEC as well, Nick. But... Uh, you know, this seems like it's going to be a rough revamp year for the Gamecocks. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to I've been on a little bit of a roller coaster personally with how I felt about South Carolina. And the, the first thing is I I really do like the hire of Shane Beamer. It, it's it's not perfect from a standpoint of your your South Carolina. You feel like you should be competing in the SEC East. You should be a, a bowl team every year. You know, you, you've, you've got the potential. You've recruited well enough. I mean, we're talking, going back to those recruiting uh, numbers, They the last six cycles uh, have averaged the 27th best uh, recruiting strength rating in the country. They've got a blue chip ratio over that period of 24%. That's better than teams like, TCU and, and you know, uh, teams that are consistently top 30 programs. That's on par. You know, I mean, UCLA has been been down a bit. But, you know, in, in that range, they're recruiting just as well over that time period as, as Ole Miss as far as getting uh, blue chip players. It, it basically a quarter uh, of their players are, are coming in at four stars or better. So, you know, they, they've had talent. And, you know, Beamer – you don't necessarily, if you were to draw it up, want to, to have South Carolina hire a first-time head coach. But if you were going to build 
like a, a head coaching prospect in a lab, I think you'd come out with something similar to Shane Beamer. At least I would. I mean, he's, he's 43 years old, so he's, he's you know, still young. He's, he's going to be able to relate well to players, I think. Uh, all indications are his players at Oklahoma absolutely love him. Uh, and, and I think players at Georgia and, and previous stops probably did as well. He has experience at South Carolina, coached there from 2007 to 2010. Is you know the son of a, a college football coaching legend, so you know he grew up around the game, knows it inside and out. He's coached on both sides of the football. That's something that I always really like to look for. If, if somebody uh, has been a position coach, uh, you know, on offense as well as defense, I, I take that as a big positive sign. He coached both offense and defense at Mississippi State. Was cornerbacks coach for a couple of years, running backs coaches last year. Coached outside linebackers one year at South Carolina, corners one year there, safeties, and then special teams. That's another thing. You got special teams coaching experience, especially as a coordinator. That's something I really like. He's got, you know, power five program after power five program. Uh, was a GA at Georgia Tech, Tennessee. You know, as I said, Mississippi State, South Carolina was a position coach, both sides of the ball. Then he moves over to offense, Virginia Tech, uh, under his father there for five years. Coached at Georgia under Kirby Smart, who we think is, is, you know, one of the best defensive coaches in college football, gets an opportunity to go to Oklahoma, learn sort of, uh, you know, to the right hand of, of Lincoln Riley, who I think is one of the best offensive minds in college football. He's worked for Steve Spurrier, worked for, uh, of course, Frank Beamer, you know. So so I think just that that resume is about as perfect as, as I could hope for other than the fact he hasn't been an offensive or defensive coordinator. Uh, that, you know, is is a little bit of a concern sometimes. But, hey, look just down the road at, at Clemson. Debo Sweeney is number one in our head coach rankings, uh, you know, the, the last few years. Was never a, a coordinator as well. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be able to recruit. I, I think, obviously, they took a big step back this year. The class fell apart toward the end of the, the Will Muschamp uh, saga there and, and just hasn't really been able to, to build it back. They're, you know, taking an, an outside-the-box approach to the transfer portal. We've talked so many, you know, oh, this you know P5 transfer and, uh, you know, all these guys who are former four-stars, they're, they're going sort of a, a completely different way of doing it. They've got a, a, a wide receiver-quarterback combo from FCS – St. Francis and Jason Brown and EJ Jenkins. EJ Jenkins looks like a really intriguing guy. 6'8, 235, uh, listed as a wide receiver, probably more of a tight end, but a you know, really impressive uh, athletic tight end if he does end up making that move. They they brought in uh, a you know a, a linebacker from Delaware, also at FCS level. They brought in a corner from Assumption College, Division II. So they're they're kind of taking a, the opposite approach where instead of, hey, this guy was a you know hotshot blue chip prospect coming out of high school, let's actually get some guys who have played some college football, had some success at the college level, and then you know see if, if they're going to be able to, to compete in the SEC. It's you know it, it's a different strategy, but it, it's 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 interesting. And then they they sprinkled in some other uh, high profile guys as well. I mean, they, they do have a transfer, uh, Armian Brown from Georgia Tech, who was, uh, you know, pretty well uh, regarded wide receiver prospect when he was coming out of high school. And, and then they brought in uh, really, really intriguing. And, and Xavier knows Jordan, uh, I'm probably going to screw his name up as well, but Strachan, 
uh, 22 production points at Georgia State last year. So a guy that's just, you know, putting up huge, huge, huge uh, numbers as a pass rusher in the Sunbelt Conference wants to take a step up to the SEC and, and you know, could probably pencil him in as a starter at, at linebacker because, you know, Ernest Jones is off to the NFL and they've got a, a couple of guys, you know, uh, on the defensive line who are moving on. Keir Thomas, we didn't even mention him among all the Florida State transfers, uh, but he's probably going to be a starter on the interior defensive line at Florida State. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in the secondary, they're losing two guys early to the NFL, J.C. Horn and Israel uh, Mukwamu, both probably going to be, you know, drafted in, in the first probably four or five rounds, I would expect. And then I'm not sure this, uh, what's going on with R.J. Roderick, the starting safety, opted out on November 17th. I don't know if he's uh, officially gone to the NFL draft. I didn't notice his name as an early entrant. Not sure if he's coming back either, so we'll see there. But three guys who played, you know, in the secondary as well uh, in the transfer portal, including yet another uh, off to Florida State uh, in, uh, excuse me, uh, Jimmy Robertson. So, a lot of moving parts in South Carolina had a really talented roster to start with, but you know, many, many of those players are no longer there, whether they're off to the NFL early, uh, whether they are, uh, you know, had transferred, they're losing on the offensive side of the ball. Shy Smith, they're far and away their most productive receiver last year. They're losing their best uh, highest graded offensive lineman. Sidarius Hutcherson, he's off to the NFL. The quarterback position has been a bit of a, a carousel with, you know, Luke Doty finished as the starter. Colin Hill uh, started most of last season, but he's he's leaving. We don't know yet if he's pursuing a pro career or uh, a transfer. Ryan Helensky, former, you know, borderline five-star quarterback who was the starter in 2019 is, is now transferring to Northwestern. So, you know, don't know what that's going to look like. They probably should be able to run the football Kevin Harris had out of nowhere a, a huge, huge year, 1,100 yards, 15 touchdowns, average over six yards per carry. And then Marshawn Lloyd was one of the, uh, you know, expected to be one of the uh, immediate impact true freshmen in college football in 2020. He had an ACL in August on the, you know, early in, in uh, fall camp. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll be full speed and, and ready to go. So, that's a you know uh, an area where there's some hope, but there are a lot of questions across the roster. You mentioned so far down in uh, returning production, and, and a lot of that's NFL guys. A lot of that is, is transfer portal guys, and there are not very many reinforcements, at least as far as known uh, commodities coming in. You know, as high school recruits certainly finished 60th in our uh, recruiting strength numbers in, in the 2021 cycle. And then, you know, there are certainly some uh, guys who've done some good things at the college level as transfers at lower levels, but that doesn't always translate to the SEC. I, I think that, honestly, believe it or not, I, I, I like going and, and getting those type of guys who, who have proven it, who've been productive and take a step up. I, I do, I think, feel like the hit rate anecdotally might be a little bit higher with those type of players, but, you know, we just don't know if they're going to be overmatched from a, a speed standpoint, from a size standpoint. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit tricky, but I, I really like Shane Beamer. I, I think that long-term, similar to what I said about Michigan State, 
I think he's he's going to be fine. But South Carolina is a pretty hard job. You know, you're you're playing a top twenty five talented team basically every week, other than when you're playing Vanderbilt. So it's uh, it, it's it's going to be tough, and and he's not necessarily starting from uh, the best position. Might be a really really long hard year one kind of year zero scenario where maybe you beat Eastern Illinois, East Carolina probably should beat Vanderbilt, but you know, maybe, maybe three wins might be, uh, might be bumping up close to that ceiling. I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult to get four or five wins, I think for South Carolina next year. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if when our numbers, uh, you know, pop up at, at preseason 2021, if South Carolina and Vanderbilt are very, very close in those, you know, mid to late nineties. And there's a, there's a non-zero chance that South Carolina actually starts as our uh, number 14 rated team in, in the sec in the preseason. Xavier, what do you think? Uh, are you with Nick? South Carolina is still going to have a little bit of a rough year. I mean, it's a transition year, so I think it's to be expected. Yeah. I'm going to give South Carolina a mulligan for this season. Cause they're going to be a bad football team. They are going to be a bad football team. I, I I'm, Right there with Nick, I think five wins is their absolute ceiling. I like to lean on the side of caution here. I'm going to say three is where I'm comfortable saying. I think they'll be Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, and Troy, and then maybe Vandy. So three to four is where I'd give them. But, I mean, it's it's not looking good for them at all whatsoever. And you're absolutely right, Nick. They hit the recruiting trail pretty hard on the transfer side of it, but everywhere else. And this is why I'm giving them a mulligan because of the Will Muschamp situation. They didn't really, they didn't have the opportunity to really sign anybody, you know, coming in. Shane Bieber didn't really have a lot of time to come in and really, you know, solidify himself as the coach. I mean, this is a team that finished 19th last year nationally in recruiting and finished 78th this year. And they finished dead last in the SEC behind Vandy. Just to kind of talk about, you know, how poorly they had they were on the recruiting trail this year. But I think, like we talked about, that was due to the fact that Will Muschamp went and a lot of his recruits went with him. Uh, they were able to keep a couple, but I, I, I'm not so sure what we're even going to get from the South Carolina team. The quarterback position is a is a big question mark for me. Uh, the you know defensively, they lost pretty much everybody. Roderick is back, by the way. He announced uh, January fifteenth. That he will be coming back uh, for his uh, for the twenty twenty one season, so that's a plus for them. Goodness, they're going Goodness. to be and Kingsley yeah. uh, Enegbare. I, I failed to mention him. All SEC uh, edge rusher. He's he's a nice piece as well. So that that's good news with with Roderick coming back. Yeah, but they're going to be completely gutted everywhere else on that defense. And so I, I really am just looking at you know if I'm a South Carolina fan going into next year, I'm just kind of looking at the positives. Let's just take away the positive from game to game because the win-loss record is not going to be what you're looking forward to, you know. But you know, I, in my opinion, I'm not. I don't, I don't know who's the starting quarterback is going to be day one, but I would probably go with youth here and just say this, and just say, like I said, this is a mulligan year. We're going to take this year to grow, and we'll we'll, we'll come back next season stronger because this is not one of those years where you expect South Carolina to even sneakily get their way to six wins and make a bowl game. Three to four wins maximum is this team ceiling, and uh, that, that's that's pushing it for me because I don't I can't confidently say right now that they're better than Vandy. I'm sorry. I know we we've talked about Vandy previously in our rankings, but I cannot confidently say right now today South Carolina is a team that can go and beat Vandy on a neutral site as of as of right now. I can't say that. 
All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. And, uh, you know, another 10 teams down here next week, Nick, are we going back to uh defensive line? Yeah, we'll do on the Tuesday show, defensive mm-hmm. line transfers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, uh, next week with, uh, the preview series, I mean, we're, we're getting into some consistent bowl teams. Some of the better G five teams, more interesting, uh, Tulane we'll talk about next week. We'll talk about Kent state, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, uh, Xavier, I'm sure we'll have fun with that. And, and then mm-hmm. we're going to see some, you know, uh, some teams uh, from the, the Power Five side of things that uh, I think are, are particularly intriguing. I'm, I'm interested to talk about Baylor. I'm interested to talk about Colorado mm-hmm. because I, I do have Colorado specifically. I do, I think, have a, an opinion formed uh, based on last year and, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I'm not usually the one. Xavier is often the one who's, who's, uh, willing to label uh, a team as, as fraudulent. Uh, but I think Colorado <laughs> might be as close, uh, to that as, as I'm, I'm willing to go maybe. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, wow. to, digging, to digging in a little bit more and, and seeing if I still feel that way this time next week. Are but you going to come after think, me? I think right now I'm, I'm, thinking Colorado is is going to get worse before they get better. Jerry Rice might have a word for you, sir. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Jerry Rice might have a word for you. And if Jerry Rice watches the podcast, please, please <laughs> yeah, have a word. Pl- please, please let us know. <laughs> please, <laughs> please give us a five-star review, rate, and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, uh, or just say something on Instagram or something about uh, about our show, please. But uh, that'll wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogdan Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.